WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 341. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG headquarters building in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show was recorded on the 23rd of September, 2018. In today's episode, beards, overruns, tail strikes, and more. Your feedback and this week's plane tale, Captain Al and the Spotty M. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 341 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. I'm Captain Jeff, a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, and joining me from her lakeside studio Doctor. in South Carolina, Doctor. Dr. Doctor. Skydiver, Doctor. marathon Doctor. runner, strength Doctor. training junkie, IPA connoisseur, Doctor. and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is nice to see you so bright and early this morning. And I just want to say for once, I've actually done all of those things that you mentioned in one week. Wow. This week. Can't wait to hear that. It wasn't that exciting, but I did manage no. to touch on each and every single one of them. So, mission accomplished. That's impressive. Woo-hoo. That is impressive. All right. Well, uh, also joining us today from his studio in England, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot. Current captain for an international airline based in London and someone who got out of walking the dogs this morning, this afternoon, actually, Captain Uh, Nick. (laughs) Hi, Jeff. Who let the dogs out? Well, it wasn't me. Um, Yes, you're right. (laughs) Well done. Um, You're quite right. Uh, It's a miserable day today. And with the show on, I managed to persuade my darling wife to go out and walk the dogs for me, which uh, was marvelous. Thank you very much for having the show this morning. Who's in the dog house? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Also, from his stately southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, bourbon, scotch, vodka, and any other spirit you can think of, connoisseur, motorcycle rider, party boat skipper, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Well, hello, everybody. That introduction makes me sound like a darn alcoholic, but I'm really not. I just just enjoy tasting the individual libations. And you spit it out, right? That's right. I spit it all out, including all that great food I make. So just like I just like having my taste buds woken up like I am this morning early today. Just like a like a supermodel. (laughs) Oh, yeah. James says, Jeff, you forgot about the scuba diver. I don't have that on the list either. I guess I need to add that for for uh, Captain Dana. Scuba diving well, instructor. D- wow, even better. So hello <laughs> and welcome to the show uh, where each week we get together uh, more or less and uh, talk about 
aviation news and uh, try to answer as much of your great feedback questions and such. And uh, we're going to do that again here this week. Uh, but first, we're going to catch you up on what has been happening with this uh, APG crew in the last, what, week and a half, I guess? It's been a while since we've done the show, but there's a good reason for that. And that's because we had a great time together last week. We had our first annual APG retreat in Atlanta, Georgia. And we had a blast. And Nick had a, I guess it was all the catalyst was uh, Nick having a layover here in Atlanta. And uh, we all said, huh, well, we should probably try to get everybody together if we can. And even Liz came down from Toronto to uh, to be with us as well. And uh, Steph flew in from Charlotte. And uh, Dana and I, of course, were already here. So was that a lot of fun or what? I was brilliant. Oh, my gosh, it's great. I'm still itching from my sunburn. <laughs> well, in yeah, just on it's my like shoulders. I don't, th- I don't, I don't think you sense. remember getting the sunburn. <laughs> well, I, I, I remembered uh, the next day when I looked at my shoulders and went, because uh, he, he was guarding the uh, the beverage cooler, the floating beverage cooler. His arms kind of wrapped around it, so the shoulders were, you know, just out of the water yeah, most of the absolutely. time. Absolutely. Did the I do a good job? Or what? You did an I excellent think, job. Those beverages were safe. I think you actually passed out on it for a little while. Too. I, so. I had a little sleep. You're right. And didn't drown. So no, it was an inflatable floating cooler. It's quite comfortable. Yeah, very much so. Nice pillow. Well, my sunburn is peeling this morning. Uh, when I was toweling off after my shower, I had little pieces of skin everywhere. That so. sounds disgusting. Thanks for sharing. It is. Um, I'm concerned about you guys and your your uh, fragile skin that burns so easily here. This is well, we, uh, I slathered my skin know, with um, lotion, but I was still wearing my T-shirt, uh, and then I took my T-shirt off and forgot to put <laughs> lotion on those parts. Yeah, <laughs> that's what got burnt. Yeah. So you have the backwards farmer Bob tan. Yeah. Or burn. Sort of. I don't know. Yeah. I, I've got that nice olive skin. I don't have to necessarily worry about getting burnt all that much. Once I get that base going, forget about it. Damn. That Boston Mediterranean skin. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, mm. well let's start let's not uh linger with that and uh, move on and talk about sunburns i'll just yeah so nick came in flew in uh i was at the airport uh, picking up uh, miss liz from toronto and we uh saw the uh airplane coming into land this uh acme red jet and uh i just made some kind of a comment like uh, that must be nick coming in for landing turns out that it wasn't nick at the controls but uh, and we actually did not see the landing it kind of disappeared behind all the buildings and everything else so uh, but i said that i saw the landing and it was very nice because you just had to make that assumption and uh so we uh and the reason for that is i, I picked up liz she flew in from toronto they have uh u.s customs pre-clearance in Toronto, so you come into the United States, it's as if you're coming in on a domestic flight, right? So wouldn't your bags be in domestic baggage claim? You would Certainly. think. That's mm. logical. That's what you would think. Well, they, her bag wasn't in domestic baggage claim. And finally, I asked the lady at the baggage claim place, and she said, uh, duh, it's over in the international concourse baggage claim. And I went, oh. So... That's why we were getting a little, I gave her a little tour of the north side of the Atlanta airport and the uh, headquarters, the Acme headquarters uh, building complexes and the, and the Acme museum and all that kind of stuff. We just drove by it though. We didn't stop. 
Anywho, uh, we ended up heading downtown and uh, waited at the Marriott Marquis Hotel for uh, Captain Nick and his crew to arrive. And uh, we were we had already started uh, imbibing adult beverages, and uh, we also uh, met up with uh, oh Jordan Bows. Uh, he was there at the uh, hotel all uh, before we were. And uh, then once we all got together, we ended up walking over to Max Loggers, and that's where we had our Atlanta meetup last Friday night, a week ago from Friday, I guess. And uh, we recorded a little something there. You want to take a listen to that? Sure. <laughs> if sure. I must. <laughs> okay. I don't yeah. know what's on right. this recording. Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly how this is going to sound. Let's Great. find out. Hello, folks. We are at Max Lager's uh, Wood-Fired Grill and Brewery in Atlanta, Georgia, on the 14th of September, uh, Friday night, uh, 2018. And uh, we have only had a couple of beers so far, so I think that we are sober enough to do a recording. So I'm going to start with uh, this lovely lady. Her name is Liz Piper. She's our producer. And I'm going to uh, stick a microphone in front of her face, and she's going to say something. Just, it's going to be so special. You won't believe it. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, well, there's more. Hi, everybody. There's more, really. <laughs> come on now. Liz, you can do better than this. Oh, come on. We've already been drinking, Jeff. Come on. Anyway. It's just great to be here with everybody. I flew down from Toronto, and Jeff picked me up, and we had a bit of an adventure at the airport, and we actually ended up seeing Nick almost land. Well, actually, it was his first officer landing, but we saw his plane on final, and that was kind of fun. And then we came downtown, and we met up with Dana, who you'll hear from very shortly, and Jordan, who has come in from uh, Kuwait via California. And he and Dana socialized last night, just let's say that. Had intense socialization. But they've recovered, and they're here tonight. And then there's Nick. And Steph's on her way, and we're hoping a whole bunch of other folks are going to show up. I am confident that we're going to have a big gang of people here at the Max Loggers. We're up the upstairs, along with all the fermentation tanks and everything else in this uh uh, area where we have a bar with a huge number of taps and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody that comes out because I know our Atlanta crew uh, is always uh, you know they're, they're always big supporters for booze up yes so uh, yes as Liz said uh, picked her up from the airport and uh, as we were going I made a mistake I went to the wrong baggage claim thinking that we would be retrieving Liz's bag from domestic baggage claim, but I was wrong. So we had to go to the other side of the airport where the international terminal was. And she snagged her bag, and uh, but it, it worked out. So we uh, hung out at uh, Nick's Hotel, the Marriott Marquis, for a little bit, had a couple of beers, and walked over here to Max Loggers, and we're awaiting the, uh, the throng of APG community members coming over for the, and you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm going to move over here to uh, Dana, Captain Dana. Well, hey, hello there to the APG community. Great to be uh, back here and enjoying some fantastic time with uh, some great folks. Of course, uh, I'm not going to talk a whole lot here because, well, everybody hears me, Jeff and Nick, all the time. So 
it's just a, it's really truly an honor to have uh, great people coming into town and and spending uh, spending some quality time together and having a lot of fun. So drinking, I'm actually drinking beer. Believe it or not, I am drinking beer. The beer that I'm drinking today is a local brew right here at the restaurant. It's called uh, I M O S or Imperial Mocha Oatmeal Stout. And let me tell you what, it's fantastic. So. That's the one I'm drinking, too. Yeah, Jeff and I are, are twins for the beer. So anyways, uh, I do enjoy a dark beer. So, And just having some fun with great, uh, great uh, people. This is the first time I actually got to meet Miss Liz in person. So it's very, very, very nice to meet her finally in, in the flesh. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I'm going to pass it off. Enough of me. And uh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Dana. Great to see you, as always. Now we have a very special guest from California. Southern California uh, via Kuwait, and uh, his name, Jordan Baus. Hi, APG crew. This is Jordan from Kuwait. I actually live in California sometimes out of the year, but most days of the year I live in this small little desert island in Kuwait, and I'm happily here in Atlanta hanging out with some of the APG crew. Uh, Hopefully, Mrs. Stephanie gets a chance to come here later tonight. The weather's great. We're going to have a couple beers and some food and hope to have a wonderful meetup with everybody. Um, really excited to be part of the podcast, and it's a pleasure to meet everyone, and I'll be listening to the podcast in the future. So from here, I'm going to hand it back to you, Captain Jeff. So, uh, Jordan, you were here yesterday. You got you flew in yesterday, and apparently I hear that you and Dana got together last night. Was uh, What was that like? Well, Captain Jeff, that's a great, it's, it's really interesting that you ask about that. I happened to fly in from California. I jumped on this really cool bus called Frontier. And it's a really affordable airline that does uh, regional service from some of the major airports. Got to Atlanta sometime around 1900 local time, 7 o'clock. And uh, text Captain Dana. And he invited me to come over for uh, some dinner at a Mexican restaurant. Um, We had a wonderful time doing trivia, which I learned a lot from trivia. But we ended up going back to this place called the Gar Bar, which is a a famous garage bar. You'll have to be part of the family or, or message him and ask more information. It's invite only. And uh, we sat around and did rum and cokes and uh, drank some great whiskey, talked till the wee hours of the morning, and uh, never thought meeting a person for the first time would be such as a, such an enjoyable experience. So um, overall, I'm very, very impressed with talking to Captain Dana. And of course, today, meeting Captain Jeff and Captain Nick and Liz, it's, it's a really an honor to be here. So um, once again, it's really, really a great time. And uh, hopefully that answers your question, Captain Jeff. You did. Thank you very much. And uh, there's a lot more to that that he didn't mention, but uh, I guess that's going to be off the recording. And, of course, uh, our birthday boy. It's it's your birthday week, right? Yeah, here's Captain Nick. I didn't realize you got a whole week, Jeff. Isn't that fantastic? I just thought it was a day. How silly am I? I should have become an American citizen years ago. Then Then I, like you, could have had a whole week. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. Absolutely. And thanks very much indeed for the fine gift. I got one from uh, the lovely Liz today and from yourself, so I feel like I'm having a second birthday. We're glad we're making you feel that way. And a big part of why everybody is here in Atlanta is because of the fact that you're here on a layover and everybody wants to meet the old pilot, the, the, the purveyor of storytelling eloquence, the old pilot, Plain Tales. 
I think it's just a good excuse to get the crew together. <laughs> so I'm not going to carry that around with me on, the, on my back like a monkey. No, this is just a perfect opportunity. Me being here, uh, Liz being free and coming down, Steph's uh, uh, evacuating from Charlotte <laughs> to get out of the rain. You're on time off, and uh, as is Dana, and it's a weekend, and we're going to have a ball. It's really nice, and what's more, um, we're not going to do a show, so we can just relax and enjoy ourselves. That's going to be fantastic. That's right. Our show is out of the way for this week. It's uh, in the can and published. So uh, we'll have to talk about what we're going to be doing next week's show later. But for now, we're going to enjoy this weekend and enjoy our time together. Can't wait to see everyone that comes down tonight because tonight's the uh, night we hope to meet as many listeners as we can. So, uh, yeah, I'm expecting a big crowd. It'll be great. I think it will be. All right. Thanks, Nick. I guess that's it. Very smooth transition. <laughs> I thought there was more. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was doing something else. I was here. a little worried when oh. you introduced that uh, uh, audio clip because I was like, I don't remember doing any audio. And then I was very relieved to find out it's because I wasn't actually there yet. <laughs> I was a little concerned that perhaps I had just completely forgotten about it. But <laughs> That's when you blacked out. That's right. <laughs> or right before you blacked Did out. Did not happen, but I was, Yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, you had not yet arrived. That was when we had first arrived at uh, Max Loggers, and then uh, a bunch of people showed up. It was my intention to uh, get some more recording done, but of course, uh, that didn't happen. No. Because we just got busy talking and eating and drinking, and then it was over. It was all over. I sound a bit jet-lagged in that clip. I wonder why. (laughs) It sounds like you might have had a beer or so. Or, or maybe no, a long flight. Uh, that's, what, that's what jet lag does to you. It makes you uh, okay. get a beer or two. That's what you call it. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. So, the, and uh, the next day we um, went over to Dana's wonderful place and had a wonderful breakfast and yum, yum. out to the, uh, the, out to the lake and the uh, APG party boat. <laughs> I'm sure Splash. it's actually something called something else. What, is. what is the official name of that? Uh, boat dana you're on mute hello i very really i very really have it on mute i always use my mic switch now uh it is now known as the boston b-a-h-s-t-o-n-c boston like my last name c potty p-a-h-t-y that's its official name yes he had a very nice uh like welcome mat. Matt. yes welcome matt uh made printed up with that on it with a very, nice American, very fitting, uh, U- perfect name. U.S. flag behind it. Yeah, very nice. Anyway, uh, and had a great, uh, a great afternoon um, and early evening on the on the boat, and uh, and we all talked about that uh, just a few minutes ago about how some of us got a little sunburned. Silly ass. Yeah. It wasn't me. Yeah. And uh, and then the next day, sadly, we all had to part ways and head back to. Our respective homes and such, but yep. But I think the, that was the retreat a long was a, drag through the night. What was it? Yeah, the retreat was a uh, resounding success. I think um, lots mm-hmm. of retreating done, and uh, <laughs> yes. important things discussed regarding the show, and uh, you know, just trying to make it a better experience for you, the listeners. Yes, it was uh, yes. very all informative. Business. Yeah, all, all business. business. Yep. <laughs> We, uh, was I passed out when all that happened? Maybe. <laughs> I think so. Okay. <laughs> I think I have a photo of you passed out drooling on, on by the, uh, by the yeah. grill as I was cooking. 
<laughs> okay. Oh, the food was good, wasn't it? I, oh, I the food was the, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Dan is a great cook. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, chicken legs and the wings and those brats. We needed more of those brats. They were brilliant. I think I ate the entire bowl of rum-soaked pineapple. That was good. <laughs> and, and then Dana was seen drinking direct from the bowl. Which yeah, just the remaining juice. Well, the juice is the best part of it. It's just the best, best part of the whole thing. Several of us uh, were doing the, that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, you know, talk, talking about the cooking, I did put out a crew log on how I did prepare all of the uh, the uh, barbecue for the uh, retreat. So that's on a crew log. So it's just motivation to go listen to that. Yes, that's motivation to uh, become part of our co- uh, coffee fund cadre, and that's one of the one of the perks, the benefits of uh, being part of that group. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Probably more than just a few minutes. Yeah, like anyway, an hour. We've got a lot to. Yeah, an hour from now. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, everybody listening to this that doesn't really care about. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't really care about any of this stuff, then uh, just go about a third of the way through the show, about the hour point, which maybe we'll start doing the news at that point. <sighs> but anyway, we have a lot of fun things to talk about in the meantime. Um, so let's see. I. Well, I'm not going to go first. I'll let, uh, how about Steph? You said you did a lot of these uh, items that uh, are associated with your intro. I did. <clears throat> Sorry, and all of a sudden now my throat is very scratchy. I think it's still too early. It's protesting. It's like, why are you awake so early on a Sunday? Anyway, so um, just as the uh, quick recap here, because I know we've got a lot of things to get to. So yeah, where we left off with um, everyone meeting up before the meetup, before I got there, um, that's because I was on my way from Charlotte to Atlanta last, no, two Fridays ago now, the 14th. Um, And we were having a little bit of a weather event here in Charlotte, uh, known as whatever Hurricane Florence was at that time, Tropical Storm Florence, Tropical Depression Florence. Um, And it was just starting to get to this part of the state. Um, But fortunately, the flight I had booked to Atlanta um, was on time, no delays. Um, Actually, a very smooth ride as well, I will say. I have a very dramatic looking picture though. So I don't know if you can see this. I took a screenshot of it of the uh, flight radar, you know, with the satellite imagery. So it kind of looks like we're escaping from the, you know, outer bands of the hurricane there. But it really getting wasn't. Getting sped out from the outer bands. Yeah, it really wasn't that, that bad. Um, so arrived in Atlanta, took the uh, MARTA train to the meetup, which was already in progress. But very nice to meet everyone who came out for that. And thank you all for joining us. We really had a great time. And then, as we mentioned, the the meetup came back to Charlotte on Sunday. Um, Liz and I went to the airport around the same time um, to discover that the, uh, what do they call it? The plane train at the airport? Yeah. It was uh, the train between the concourses. Ooh. <laughs> so I forget what gate I was at. The same one I came into was at D23. And, um, uh, but I had a lot of time because my flight was showing that it was delayed an hour. So I walked over to Liz's gate, which was just about a mile. I put it on my watch. It was like 0.97 from security to whatever gate she was at. So that was a nice little exercise. And um, Did you use some moving walkways, though? Nope. Because there were a lot of people like really trying to hurry, you know, since the trains weren't working. So I left those for people okay. who were in a hurry. I did not use the moving walkway. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, saw her off on her flight and then wandered back over to the to near where my gate was. And it's a good thing that I did because 
then about the originally scheduled departure time, all of a sudden I got a text from the airline that says, uh, flight time changed, and they just put it right back to the original departure time. Um, so that was interesting. And a lot of people were apparently, you know, in restaurants and things, taking their time because they thought they had extra time. Um, I think there were a, a whopping 13 of us on that flight. Uh, <laughs> so interesting experience there. But anyway, back to uh, Charlotte, where it was still raining, although not very heavily at that point. And the temperature was cooler, so get, I got off the plane, got home, decided that was a good time to do a long run for the week because I have a couple marathons coming up. So put my shoes on, went out in the rain, had a very nice uh, long-distance run there. I think I did 14 miles or something like that. Um, but I actually don't mind running in the rain and cooler temperatures. Wow. It was it was good. And then, uh, so that was running, covered that. Uh, I've had a busy week at work. It's just been... We're starting to get to that time of year where everyone realizes they've met their deductibles for their insurance here in the U.S. And now they want to get in and get everything done before uh, we come up on the new year. So generally October, November, December are pretty busy months for us. And we're almost to October now. So seeing that pick up a little bit. But I did manage to squeeze in about an, just under an hour of flying on Wednesday night. Rented an airplane, uh, Cessna 172 at the local airport and just went out and I did my intention was actually to just do pattern work and then actually become night current as well since the days are getting shorter. But turns out the plane that I rented, the uh, lighting on the instrument panel wasn't working and neither was the overhead light. And I, I didn't have a um, uh, working red light at that moment, just my flashlight. So um, decided that was a little too dark. So didn't quite finish that, but I might try again next week because I got some more time. Um, but did a little bit of pattern work before it got, got too dark and uh, that was a lot of fun. And then what day are we up to? So yesterday, um, long day yesterday too, there was a skydiving event for the, uh, there's the U S um, parachute association has a, uh, kind of organization within the organization called sisters in skydiving, which aims to promote women in skydiving. Um, so the local chapter organized a all day long event just to basically encourage women to come out, organize jumps, have fun, be social. Um, so did that for about a half a day, got a couple of jumps in with some really great people and then had a, excuse me, friend's kid's birthday party to attend. And then my neighbors um, were having a get together last night. So I got home last night around, I don't know, midnight or so, and then had this early start this morning. So I think I covered. Oh, and I did have an IPA here and there along the way. And I did make it <laughs> to the gym. As you do. <laughs> so. <laughs> It was a busy week, but um, yeah, I feel a little guilty because um, at the retreat, Jeff, you know, did have um, some goodies for us, including new microphones for Dana and myself, and I have not yet had a chance to set mine up yet. So I'm sorry about that. I'll get to yeah, it no problem. after I get this mess cleared off of my desk. We have to have priorities, right? Yeah, priorities. Flying, yeah. skydiving, IPAs. Yeah. Work, <laughs> work, 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 work. Awesome. Well, thanks for catching us up with uh, the busy life of Stephanie Plummer. Oh my gosh, I need to take a break. Yeah, we have a vacation. You need a retreat. <laughs> a retreat, yeah. The re Another the retreat. retreat was was actually a very nice break from things, so I enjoyed that very much. It was very relaxing. I mean, after all the hard work and yeah, business I mean, after meetings the, and planning, after the retreating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Captain Nick. Uh, so you left that uh, next uh, day, Sunday evening, and uh, did you get any of the 
the remains of the tropical storm, tropical depression, Florence, on the way home? Well, we were actually rooted right through the middle of it um, uh, and our exit from Atlanta. I mean, we'd have had to go several hundred miles to one side or another to avoid it. Um, but as it turned out, we managed to get more or less to our cruising altitude before we arrived at the edge of it. And although uh, we just had a few burbles just going through uh, the outer rim, as it were, um, it wasn't too bad at all. Um, it was fine, actually. We managed to over the great majority of it. Um, and uh, then it was a fairly... Uh, uneventful crossing and uh, plonked it on the ground at Heathrow. That was fine, no holding. So got in about 15 minutes early, so I think everyone was pleased with that. Uh, and that was uh, that was a nice trip. I enjoyed it. A fantastic time out in Atlanta. Thank you very much indeed for hosting us uh, so well, Dana, and thank you very much for your birthday gift, uh, Jeff. I'm looking forward to picking that up in New York. Uh, perhaps we can talk about on that on uh, another show. Um, but um, since I've been home, uh, I'm now on my part-time days off, uh, and uh, I've done not a lot, a little bit of bowling, uh, end of the season here. Uh, the weather's been um, turning very autumnal, so uh, a lot of rain and a lot of wind, and we seem to have picked up some uh, old tropical storms that have uh, motored across the Atlantic and uh, are sliding over the UK now. But uh, occasionally it brings uh, quite warm weather with them as they sweep up some uh, European weather towards us. So the temperatures haven't been too bad. But generally speaking, uh, all very quiet back home. Nice to be here. And uh, looking forward to my next trip, which will be in uh, the end of the month um, over to New York. So, yeah, that'll be a good one. Excellent. Oh, hey, I forgot to mention something of uh, part of my week, which was actually one of the more important parts and definitely a highlight. Can I sneak that back in here real quick? No, I'm sorry. It's, it's uh, yeah, too late. Turn over. Too late. Missed your chance. Oh, okay, go <laughs> ahead. I'm going to blame it on the early hour here. I should have made notes for myself what I needed to. <laughs> okay, Steph, well, go I ahead. A, I had a meetup, a, a small meetup on uh, Thursday afternoon. I skipped right over Thursday somehow. Um, but Tanya was in town for, she was attending a <clears throat> something, uh, an event with a different podcast, but we won't hold that against Tanya. It was an excuse for her to come <laughs> to town sure? and. And, uh, well, I got to meet up with her while she was here. So it's, uh, you know, it's all good. And yeah. we went to a, um, just a little, uh, bar slash restaurant in uptown Charlotte Roosters, I think it's called. And pretty close to where she was staying and where she was actually attending the event. Charlotte's actually not very large downtown, uptown. Um, so everything's kind of in close proximity. Um, and then another, um, relatively new listener of the show, someone that Tanya knows, his name is Ant, and he does a lot of photography stuff too, which um, should uh, give Captain Nick some of his uh, information there, so he can see that. But um, he came by and met up with us for you know, a couple, I think a drink or two, um, before Tanya had to go over to her event, and we had a really good time chatting and, and meeting each other, so it was great. Yeah, I heard about that too. Yeah. Firsthand. Firsthand. Right from Tanya's mouth, Excellent. because I... Had a chance to meet up with Tanya as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, before we talk about that, let's go over to Dana. Dana, what have you been up to? Uh, probably not a lot, right? Yes, I've had a very, very, very busy week, Jeff. A lot of flying? A lot of flying. Have a lot going on. 
yeah, no. <laughs> uh, it's a long, long call. They have not. Uh, I'm fully anticipating this coming week that I should be put placed on short call, which will greatly enhance my uh, likelihood of seeing the inside of a very nice MD88 or an MD90. Um, but uh, I'm still recovering from the hosting of the um, retreat. No, no, not really. It was really a great time having uh, both Liz meeting her and, and hosting her and, and Dr. Steph in the house and then having you guys over for breakfast. So um, other than that, uh, I've just not had a whole lot going on, just waiting for that phone to ring. I mean, I could in theory, put in a slip to go ahead and try to fly. Um, but that's just, uh, that's, but why, but why, <laughs> why, why not just enjoy what I have? Because there are going to be plenty of times when it's going to be, Oh my God, are they going to ever stop using me? So mm-hmm. uh, I just am taking the very good part of it with the, with the, what's going on here uh, with us being a little bit overstaffed until they get people uh, off the aircraft and, and trained. And of course, uh, in the airline industry, uh, the September, October into the beginning of November is the slack time of year for us anyway. So they pull back flying a little bit. So that's uh, another reason why they're a little slow. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, the weather has been fantastic. Um, even though at our, our retreat we did have a little liquid sunshine, uh, that's the last time we saw any liquid here in Atlanta since uh, since then. Uh, had a little lake time this past week as well, so that's about it from my world. Not very interesting. Yeah, when we were out on the uh, on the boat on on the lake on Saturday, uh, toward the latter portion of our afternoon, uh, we actually experienced a little bit of uh, this lady, Florence, and uh, the at least some of the outer bands and rain showers and everything else. We were out there floating on our on our noodles and uh, with our beers in hand, and it started raining, and it was a really cool experience. And then Dana made us get it out. Until get out the of the, uh, lightning lake. started. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's when I made the command decision. Everybody out of the water. Yeah, uh, I didn't even hear that. I was, I was just floating around. <laughs> you were just fish, uh, you're three, out, actually. You're like, a, you're like a fish in the water. Oh, you're three, you're three sheets to the wind, there, my friend. <laughs> Captain Nick, I'm feeling like you didn't tell us everything that you needed to tell us. <laughs> How intuitive, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. I pick up on those things. Yeah, you're very sometimes. good. Yeah, that messaging app was marvelous. Uh, yes, of course. Um, I said uh, very little happened to us after I came back, but that's not true. That's not true at all. I uh, had been um, ar- had arranged to meet one of our listeners, and uh, we managed to get it together just about. Um, and uh, the lovely Vernon and his uh, super wife, uh, Dr. Ruth, not the Dr. Ruth that you're thinking of as soon as I say that, but <laughs> a Dr. Ruth, um, Tryon, uh, who were visiting, uh, um, well, uh, they come across uh, and, well, not necessarily across, but they meet regularly with um, people they knew from part of their um a past life uh they have a sort of reunion and this time it was in stratford and then they also had friends across at the isle of Wight. and uh, when they finished with their uh, stay in the uk they uh, were coming past not far from me because uh, from the isle of Wight they took a ferry into portsmouth which is only about 25 minutes away and uh, suggested we might meet up there which was a great idea so uh after we finally managed to join up 
um, WhatsApp was not cooperating, and that was the only real method of communication we had. But uh, eventually we managed to uh, find each other. I picked up uh, Vernon and Ruth uh, at the ferry terminal and took them out to a little uh, country pub, uh, which is uh, was in Emsworth, right on the coast. Uh, lovely little spot. Weather wasn't brilliant, but nice little pub. And uh, we had a few beers and uh, had lunch together before they uh, went up to the train to uh, go to Gatwick Airport. And I think they had a night to stay there and then eventually fly back home. But it was uh, absolutely lovely. Uh, Vernon and Ruth are wonderful people. Uh, Vernon is a very keen aviator who was an air traffic controller. Uh, he became a pilot and flew uh, um, on a sort of missionary uh, I was going to say missionary mission. That's not really uh, very explanatory, is it? Um, flew uh, out in uh, Africa, in Nigeria, for example, um, uh, as a missionary, as a flying missionary, uh, and doing great works out there. Um, and um, he was flying a Cessna 206 out there. And uh, he, he had many stories to tell me uh, about his experiences out in Nigeria, some of which I sort of suspected my <laughs> it's the sort of country where things happen. Um, but it was uh, lovely chatting. Sadly, we didn't uh, have as long as we might, only a couple of hours together, but it was a great little meetup. Uh, and uh, my best regards uh, to uh, Vernon and Ruth, and thanks for you know, sparing the time to for us all to get together. And uh, I hope you had a nice, safe uh, journey home. So uh, regards and thanks for that. Yeah, we haven't heard um, any audio feedback from Vernon in quite some time. Um, but uh, look uh, forward to hearing more from him uh, about his meetup with Nick. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just want to say, uh, Jeff, yes, publicly, thank you very much. This uh, Hile setup that you provided uh, is fantastic. Love well, it's just, it's just part of the uh, equipment upgrades for, uh, for the crew. Well, and, and, and quite honestly, it makes me feel welcome that I'm going to be around for a little while longer. So you can't get rid of me that way. Oh, I'm sorry. You have that impression. <laughs> and, from that. And, and Nick brought over some really <laughs> awesome English chocolates for me. Dr. Steph, some really good barbecue rubs. And of course, Liz brought uh, crown, uh, they weren't barbecue rubs; they were treatment. That was that was for those sore patches you have. Oh, uh oh. <laughs> with the ones we weren't going to talk about. I wasn't, wasn't going to mention that part of the gift publicly, but there were actually barbecue rubs. Yeah. <laughs> I feel sorry for the people who are eating the barbecue that he used the rub on. Yeah, <laughs> those yeah, they, Ooh. Well, it'll take that whatever. explains a lot of things from yesterday. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that makes sense now. And Liz, thank you very much for that fantastic uh, crown that was aged in bourbon barrels. So it's a very interesting and very complex layered uh, flavor palette on that as well. Mm. So thank you. I didn't get any of that. Well, Liz contributed to my drinking problem and uh, gave me a nice large bottle of uh, Star of Sapphire made by uh, Bombay. And I got some Cardu single malt, which is sitting just there, right there. I can see it now. Hi, hello, little And you gave me a lovely (laughs) bottle of Prosecco that is just too beautiful to even open and drink, so it's on display at the moment. Ooh. Is that your golden bottle? It is. It is. Yeah. And and a nice T-shirt that I haven't had a chance to uh, wear yet, Liz, but uh, I can't wait. Uh, oh, right. yes, hat too. yes, I have a Canadian Air Force all hat. Kinds yeah. of, there are all kinds of gifts. Absolutely. Yes, goodies galore. Yes. 
anyway, it was a great, if you can't tell from all of our, uh, uh, talking here on this part of the show, we had a great time. It was good to see everybody and everybody, uh, at the, uh, meetup on Friday night as well. It was a, a big group and, uh, we, we took up many tables of Max I think they were, they were happy that we did. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. They kept like shooting us over to like one corner. Yeah. <laughs> like we yeah, needed to vacate this table. And then we, we and then volunteered we... to go upstairs and out of their way, but they shut down the upstairs yeah. before we had a chance to go back up again. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Steph, you said, you know, you should have written this stuff down because you forget stuff. Well, I write stuff down and it's like right in front of me on my screen and I still forget to talk it's like about my it. my checklist right here that says stop recording at the end of every show and how often do I remember to stop recording? That's a good example of it. But uh, one of the things that I was supposed to talk on my, about on my last show was I met up or not met, uh, met up, but I bumped into, so to speak, some folks um, on... Well, I guess it was a couple of weeks now. Uh, I came in from a flight, uh, Gate B28 in Atlanta, and I met Andrew T. And uh, I think it's uh, Trudeau, I think. Andrew Trudeau. And he was making, uh, transiting through um, Atlanta on the way up to, I forget where, exactly where he's going. He was going, actually. Um, but uh, anyway, Andrew, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to you. Uh, and it was nice meeting you briefly as I was getting off the, uh, airplane, uh, he says, Captain Jeff. And, uh, it was under one of the, one of those moments where my co-pilot was going, huh? Who is this guy? How does he know you? Um, and, uh, let's see. And, and I met a, uh, lead ramp agent for Acme. Um, he came upstairs and was asking some questions about, uh, I don't know about uh, whether they could uh, transfer external power and some other things. I, I forget exactly what the uh, issue was, but we were talking about this and that. And I think he had a question for us about something re aviation related and um, I asked him, are you a pilot? And he goes, yeah, I'm a student pilot and I'm working on my ratings. And I said, are you, is it your intent to, you know, become a, an airline pilot? And he goes, yeah, that's what I'm planning on. So, uh, Dwaylon Gray, just a shout out to you. I don't know if you're listening to the show. He didn't know anything about it. And I told him that he should, uh, take a listen and, uh, you know, let us know how he is doing, uh, in his, uh, journey to become an airline pilot. And he's not the first guy that, uh, is a ramp worker at Acme that I've met, uh, in the last two, three years, uh, that are, are on that, on that path. Yeah, Dwayne, that's awesome. I mean, I can speak from experience. I've been there. I did did your job. I've done numerous jobs at Acme, and uh, there is uh, there is hope that it can actually happen for you too. So, if you're listening, um, keep going because there is nothing more than having that dream. And if you have that dream, then you can make it happen. That is true. And. We talked about uh, a couple of episodes ago, the um, or maybe it was the last episode. It feels like a couple of episodes ago. We were, uh, the Flight 93 Memorial um, meetup that we had, and Rebecca is the one that kind of organized that whole thing. And I forgot to mention, and maybe I've mentioned this in the past, um, and, and she's a very modest person, but uh, she um, gave me her CD, and uh, it's available on CD Baby and a couple of other um, outlets where you can get uh, beautiful music and uh, it uh, the 
the title of the CD is Ephemeral. And uh, I, I thought I'd play, and I'm, I'm probably going to embarrass her for doing this, but I did receive permission to play some of her music on the show. And I'll just play a little, uh, and, and she has several uh, tracks on this. And uh, But one of my favorites was this one uh, called Like Wildflowers. And uh, let's just hear a little bit of that, if you don't mind. So here is the beautiful and wonderful Rebecca Saylor. Wasn't that nice? Oh, wait a minute. She hasn't started singing yet. I was going to say, I thought she was... Wildflowers and uh, Rebecca Saylor. Doesn't she have a gorgeous voice? Thank you for sharing that with us. Very nice. Yeah. And again, the uh, CD is ephemeral. Is that the way you pronounce ephemeral? it? Ephemeral. That's yeah. the way I pronounce it. And uh, it is available. I think she said on CD Baby and is this Tune Core or something Core? I don't know. She wrote me a nice little note with this little sticky note, and uh, she said that she in the U.S. that she can ship. Um, so, um, I'll maybe Rebecca, if you're listening, you can uh, send me some links and that kind of thing where people can, uh, buy your CD and support your uh, creative work. Excellent. Lovely sounding music. Just right up my street. Um, can I just uh, bring us back towards 50% please? Because, uh, Oh no. Yeah. Really? I, I, I mentioned that, um, Vernon, uh, flew, uh, for the missionaries. He actually flew, he served as a United Methodist hospital, um, uh, flying the Cessna 206. So I just want to make oh. sure I got that right. Okay. What did he call you and uh, correct you? Um, no, after I, I you found the you... email with all the details in. I didn't oh, okay. Didn't have it in front of the <laughs> first time. Uh, um, his uh, his wife attended uh, a boarding school in Nigeria, and uh, her parents were um, the Church of the Brethren missionaries. So uh, um, they're they're a fine couple with uh, yeah, excellent lots of good deeds behind them. That uh, that's great. Okay, um, let's see. And then, of course, I after this whole uh, big, great weekend, I didn't go out until uh, Wednesday, and uh, Wednesday night, as or Wednesday afternoon, flew a, a trip. Now, this uh, about I don't know more than three months ago, I think I was contacted by the lovely Miss Tanya, and she said, 
Jeff, I'm going to be flying from Atlanta to Newark on Friday night, uh, September 21st, and I want you to be my captain. And I went, oh, okay. I'll, I'll take a look and see, you know, when it's time for me to bid for September, if, you know, what the trip is that, you know, would include that, um, that flight. That awful flight. <laughs> yes. So I, I looked, yeah. I'll give up the fantastic so, flight I was going to bid for. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, this is the kind of trip I normally would not bid for, especially the day, well, it was a four day trip, flew into the weekend and, uh, and had some short layovers, uh, had a long layover as well. Uh, but on day three, it had four legs, and I don't usually like to fly the trips that have multiple legs like that. Uh, but I'm glad I did bid for this trip because um, I ended up uh, getting to meet several of our community out there. Um, that one leg up to Columbus, uh, we had a meetup at Barley's. Um, what do they call that? Barley's Tap Room or Ale House One or something like that. And uh, and then the next day we were in St. Louis, or I was in St. Louis and got to meet up with a bunch of folks. And I recorded little sh short recordings of the meetups at both the uh, Columbus meetup at Barley's and also the St. Louis meetup at the Urban Chestnut. So let's take a listen to this first one at Columbus. Hey folks, we're at uh, Barley's in Columbus, Ohio. And a little uh, quick meet up because I have an early morning and a short layover. Just flew one leg up from Atlanta tonight and or late afternoon, early evening. Still light outside, so it's really not nighttime. Uh, so anyway, at Barley's, sitting at a table near the window. I don't know. They, bad judgment on their part, I think. Uh, but I'm here with, and you'll recognize her voice. She has a beautiful voice. Her name is Jennifer. We call her Jen Iffer. And she's going to say something just profound to the uh, audience. Hello. <laughs> Was that not profound? I would never have thought that you were going to go there. You know, this happens every time, Jeff. You, you bring the microphone out and I can never think of a darn thing to say. But I did get to see you fly in today. That was fun. Got to meet you at the gate. That's always a good time. Make faces at you through the window when you're parking. Um, so it's, it's good. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you. It's good to see you as always, Jen. And I was not expecting you to actually be there because I figured by the time we came in, which was a little after six o'clock, that you would have already gone home. Uh, but she was there. And I didn't even look at the window to see you there making faces at me, apparently. All that wasted effort. But I did ask her. I said, did you, uh, did you watch me land? And did you take a video of it? She goes, I did not take a video. And I went, ah, because this time it would have been acceptable. That, uh, oh. Sorry. That's okay. And we also have with us Paul Verhagen. Hi, greetings from uh, again from Cincinnati. Uh, the hardest part about getting here today was uh, not finding the right place, but getting out of Cincinnati itself, and um, raced up the uh, interstate to uh, meet up with uh, the good captain and Jennifer and others. And I'm very grateful and thankful for the opportunity to talk all things aviation and uh, and audio technology as well. And, uh, yeah, I have to admit something. Last time we had a Ohio, Columbus, Ohio meetup, um, we changed the venue because my hotel had changed. And uh, everybody was notified except Paul. And he drove all the way over from Cincinnati. And nobody was here. And I feel so terrible about that. So, 
I'll never and I'll never hold it against you. Good. Thank you. So I think we're okay now. So uh, I'm going to move over here to uh, a voice that you've heard many times as well at many meetups. His name, James Balch. My name is James, a.k.a. Mr. Speedy. For the one time I had a speeding ticket coming, I did not have a speeding ticket this time. All appreciation, everyone in the APG crew, thank you. You're all family. We come from different beliefs, backgrounds, but we all share a love of aviation and each other. And I just want to say thank you to Jeff and everyone else for supporting this and giving me three hours of laughter, humor, and insight. So thank you. Thank you, James. As all, great to see you as always. I think the first time that James and I met up was when, when I was down on a uh, Palm Beach layover. Yeah. Would you like to say anything to the APG community? Here is James's mom. Um, this is the greatest group with the nicest people. And what's fun about it is that they're all over the world and they love to meet up with each other. And Captain Jeff of Acme Airlines has got to be the best pilot in the whole aviation industry. Oh, I love you. I love you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm not, but I'll take it. All right. Well, that's it from uh, the Barley's uh, Tap Room or whatever they call it here on North High Street in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. And uh, talk to you again soon. Bye. All right. Yeah, the, you could tell we had a great time. And you know what? Uh, I don't mind so much taking up all this time at the beginning of the show because, as we've mentioned before, this show really is our excuse for just uh, being part of this great big APG community and going out there and having meetups and that kind of thing. So um, anyway, she said you had the nicest mustache in the whole aviation industry. Was, was that it? I, I don't think it had anything to do with a mustache, but uh, more about my uh, uh, superior flying skills. Oh, okay. I'm hair trimming <laughs> skills. <laughs> yeah, it might be part of it. Um, I stepped away I did, I went into, there and come back to some conversation about hair trimming skills. I thought this was aviation. <laughs> yeah. I went into the Apple store uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this guy, he had a beard and a mustache, and he just kept saying, man, I love your mustache. What do you what do you put on it? What you know, how do you? And I, I said, nothing. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a it. little bit of no but he, dribble. he was really enamored with my mustache. It was like, OK, this is getting a little awkward. Uh, let's talk about so like, Apple products. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you'd look okay. weird without your mustache. I would. In fact, my I've I mentioned this uh, uh, several times in the show that my my wife and my children uh, basically said that if I ever shave it off, they'll disown me. So, well, if if you did shave off your eyebrows as well, because then people won't be so badly distracted. <laughs> okay, they'll just be staring at the lack of eyebrows. <laughs> That's a good tip. Thank you. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think you have experience with accidentally shaving things, don't you? Shaving parts Thanks. of myself? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But perhaps we better keep this a family. Yeah, okay. Family show. I didn't even, I didn't even recognize you when you did that, Nick. <laughs> like, who's that guy? <laughs> All right. It's kind of like me walking around without my hat on. Nobody recognizes me unless I have this stupid hat on. Yeah. Where's that guy with the blonde yeah. hair that stands? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, I'll have to get rid of it now. See you. Okay. And finally, uh, well, not finally, but almost finally, uh, the second day of the trip uh, ended up making it to um, St. Louis via, and this is a weird thing. I, Dana, I don't know if you've ever flown Columbus to Minneapolis. I didn't even know we did that. 
Uh, but uh, so we went from Columbus, Ohio to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then uh, from there to St. Louis. And in Minneapolis, uh, was joined up by APG community member Jim. And uh, Jim works uh, on the ramp at Acme. And uh, he noticed that uh, we were going to have a meetup in St. Louis. He had a day or two off and said, you mind if I come down with you and ride with you, you know, down to the downtown area in St. Louis? And I thought, yeah, no problem. So he joined me there and we flew down to uh, St. Louis and uh, Tom Seagraves and uh, others. Um, we met up at Urban Chestnut Brewing Company and uh, have a little snippet from that as well. So here we go. Well, we are at the, what is the name of this place? Oh, the uh, Urban Chestnut Brewing Company. We have a couple different versions of why it's called Urban Chestnut. The first one, not very believable. The second one, much more believable. But uh, I'm here with a group of great people, uh, part of the APG community, that have uh, come to our meetup here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, spearheaded and uh, organized by Tom Seagraves. Uh, he drove uh, from Columbia, Missouri, and uh, we uh, also have some others that have driven considerable distances to uh, come together to be a part of this uh, meetup. And let's start over here because it's just easier. He's sitting right next to me on this side of the table. His name is Derek, and I'm Thomas, Derek Thomas. And uh, tell us, uh, Derek, a little bit about yourself, and, uh, and then we'll pass it around. Hello, APG community. Uh, Derek Thomas here from the wonderful Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, drove in to visit with Captain Jeff. We had another APGer here, uh, Mr. Jim, who rode down with you, who swore that the landing was a real greaser that you did today, but then he left, so we have no collaboration on that. Anyway. Well, I can, I can vouch for that. I, it was absolutely a, an amazing landing. I, I figured that you would, but anyway, Steph, Dana, uh, and, and maybe the old pilot, too. We missed you here today. We had some great brews and a great company. And uh, signing out. Okay, thank you very much, Derek. Very uh, nice to meet you. And we have a uh, married couple over here. We have uh, Matt and Brianna. And we're going to start with Matt. Hi, APG community. It's Matt here from STL. Um, here with my wife, Brianna. It's our uh, first APG meetup. Uh, first time I've met Jeff. Um, we've had uh, some great food, uh, some good beer, and some even better conversation. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet some uh, fellow aviation enthusiasts, and um, yeah, I'd encourage anyone to, uh, you know, if they have a meetup in their area, to come along. It's been it's been fantastic. So, uh, hi to all the crew, and uh, hope to see you at a meetup uh, sometime in the future. And. Uh Matt is originally from, now maybe Carlos and Matt Smith can uh, recognize this uh, accent that this gentleman has. He is from uh, Norwich? Yes, yeah, home of the, uh, the other podcast that we won't, we won't mention on the air. But, uh, <laughs> no, we can mention them. They're great people. Fantastic. I love those guys. Okay, and uh, let's hear from your lovely wife who is much more, oh, she doesn't want to talk. Just say hi. Hi. Okay, that's good enough. Anyway, uh, we also have Myron. Here we go. Hello, APG listeners. Uh, Myron Tedrow here. I came down to a visit with the lovely Captain Jeff, and it was amazing. Drove about two hours, but it was a labor of love. Um, I fly for uh, Acme Pilatus. Sounds good to me. 
uh, fly for them and uh, looking to be at a regional sometime soon. Um, happy to finally meet up with everybody. Had some great conversations, some great beer, and uh, I'll definitely be at the next one. So come visit me in Nashville sometime. Absolutely. I love Nashville. And then finally, last but not least, is the guy that uh, kind of came up with this whole crazy idea, um, Tom Seagraves, who lives in Columbia, Missouri. And would you like to say something to our APG community? Well, I want to thank you for the, the new information you gave us on Dana, what you told us about him. Well, we're not supposed to talk about that. Tom, gosh darn it. Sorry, I forgot. I wasn't supposed to say that. Um, no, Captain Jeff, it's always great meeting with you. Um, the community you've put together here is amazing uh, to get to meet people that we'd never meet otherwise. Um, we just had a great three or four hours getting together, having a few beers and uh, some good laughs and talking aviation. So it's, it's fun as always. Definitely worth the drive. And I'm just I'm glad we could do it. I'm glad you were able to, to spend a, enough time in St. Louis to where we could have a meetup. I'm so glad that I ended up bidding this trip, the tri kind of trip that I would never bid, uh, but it worked out to be a, a blessing and uh, got that meetup last night in Columbus and then here uh, today in St. Louis and meeting all these, uh, meeting you again, I've seen a few times and that's awesome, and then meeting some new people that I've never met before, so that's, uh, that's an amazing thing and thank you so much again, Tom. It's all, it's all you, man. Thanks for, uh, for insisting we do this. And Dana? I don't know what he's talking about. We love you, man. I really don't. <laughs> I think you just made all that up right. to try to embarrass me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we we did have a lot to drink, and you know how things just happen after you've you know been drinking a bit. Okay. No. Well, you don't. Drink I just anything. I'm just not Dana. I'm just not ready at this point to reveal our special relationship so uh i think that we should move on with the uh, coffee fund <laughs> <laughs> you said you'd love that dress in my heels i <laughs> do okay i thought so I, I knew i knew i recognized that dress that was left here in my house <laughs> that wow. it, it is the wrong size for anybody that lives here so i had to bring you us <laughs> okay time to move on to the coffee fund and not a minute too soon. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. The Coffee Fund is your way to contribute to our show financially, if you have the financial resources to do so. And uh, we have a couple different ways to do that. And uh, you can learn about how to do that by going to the AirlinePilotGuy.com website and uh, click on that thing that says Coffee Fund. And one of those methods is to become a patron of our show via Patreon. And we have some new producers. Yay! Since the last show, Perry Heyman, he was present with his lovely wife, uh, at the uh, meetup at Max Loggers in Atlanta last weekend. Uh, Eric, he, he chose just to use his first name because he didn't want anybody to identify him, apparently. Um, you may have heard of this dude, Owen Shimizu. Shimizu. Um, he is our flight attendant professional friend uh, somewhere on the other side of the world. 
Thank you, Owen, for uh, signing up to become a new producer of our show. And last but not least, Chad Freeman. Chad, welcome to uh, the Coffee Fund Cadre. And welcome all of you, actually. And if you want to uh, learn more about how you can become part of this wonderful group, uh, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. Stand by for news. And finally, we're starting the show <laughs> and uh, with our news segment. And the first item here, now many of you seem to be very interested in this because we've talked about this subject on the show a few times. Now, you'll note that while I do have uh, facial hair, it's a mustache, but not a beard. Uh, and Dana does not have a beard either. But you'll notice this other good-looking pilot on our crew, Captain Nick, uh, has a nice full beard, and you're thinking, why is it that he can have a beard and Dana and I can't? Well, I guess it's because somebody decided years and years ago that having a, a bearded face would somehow uh, inhibit the effectiveness of the oxygen mask if we ever had to put on our emergency oxygen masks in uh, some kind of an uh, abnormal uh, situation. And apparently, researchers at Simon Fraser University up in Canada uh, proved that the respirator masks work effectively on bearded faces, something that Nick would have said, uh, yeah, I could have told you that a long time ago Yeah, if you had asked. Yeah. I mean, right? they probably spent a lot of money on this. But, I'm sure they did. Uh, the uh, The Royal Navy, the fleet air arm, when uh, they flew uh, all sorts of fighters where the guys had to uh, wear uh, oxygen masks all the time, uh, allowed their pilots to go fully bearded. Uh, and the Navy always had that tradition. Uh, and they never, <laughs> never, ever had any problems. Uh, whereas the Air Force said, no, you could only have a mustache. Um, so, you know, you have to ask yourself why. But uh, there you go. So plenty of... It, uh, empirical evidence, but never actually had a, seen a study before. Yeah, and I actually uh, liked that uh, they got participants with wide-ranging uh, facial hair varieties, everything from stubble to beards grown to waist length. So, <laughs> wow. There you go. No. I didn't even know that was really possible, I guess. It <laughs> Would you have to stuff all that stuff into the... Oh, I, no, you couldn't. Yeah, you, know, you have to like fold it up neatly and like Braid it, I think. Braid it. Braids. Quickly, quickly braid the beard and then apply your oxygen mask. Well, I guess apparently this all came up with Air Canada uh, because they had some pilots uh, who were Sikh. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Their, uh, yep. Their uh, culture and uh, religion, Sikh. Is it is it culture or religion or both? I'm not sure. I it's believe religion. it's a religion, but uh, okay. of course, like a lot of religions, they follow a quite specific um, way of life. Very generous right. people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and they were because so they, those they were Sikh and were not going to be clean shaven. That brought up the question to Air Canada: that is this policy still a valid policy, or is it just a carryover from the old days? You know, and there are a lot of things, and and many of our lives are like that. Well, we've just always done it that way. Uh, but finally, somebody said, "Hmm, maybe we should." do some kind of a study to see if this is actually true. And it turns out that almost, actually, no, not almost, it was 100% success with the, all the different people with different types of beards, regardless of beard length and all that kind of stuff. So it looks like uh, the uh, maybe the Canadian airline pilots will soon be able to fly with beards. And how long will it be before maybe... Uh, the U.S. follows suit and uh, says, you know what, maybe we can throw that out the window. I don't know. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, we're stubborn. <laughs> That's true. We need to continue to do things the way we've always done things because. That's right. Right, right. And you'll be That's happy because with it. always the right way. Always. We, yes. don't, we don't care about your fancy science and studies and. <laughs> yeah that's all right look at look at what they did with all the sleep studies and they came up with 117 which actually we're flying a lot more tired now than we were under under uh, 121 rules yeah let's don't get into that I'm not going yeah. to but i'm just i'm just saying yeah i know i know uh, in fact i think that the thing that they failed to really address in that whole thing um was probably one of the most important parts of it and it's just making sure that when you show up to your uh, trip that you are fully rested and haven't flown all night long <laughs> to to get to your starting point and uh anyway that's kind of controversial so we we're not going to talk about it okay uh so we'll we'll have to wait and see regarding the beard thing uh i'm not sure and we were talking about uh, this before the show, and I'm not sure because uh, somebody had asked if I could grow a beard, and I said, I don't, I don't know. I've never tried. So maybe we'll find out someday. You never know. Never know. Probably be retired by then, Jeff. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it in retirement. There you go. Uh, we have an update on that uh, Ute Air 737 at Sochi, Sochi uh, in uh, Russia. Uh, the uh, 737 that um, overran the runway upon landing. The update was on September 14th. Uh, Russia's, hang on, let me make sure I get my little sound effect in here. Russia's Rose of Yatsia. Uh, reported that the aircraft performed a Cat 3A ILS approach to runway 6. Weather conditions were reported at the time. Uh, winds from 170 degrees at 7 knots. RVR at the runway threshold was 6,000 meters. Uh, in the middle, 5,000 meters, and at the end, 6,000 meters. There was light rain. There were overcast cloud with a ceiling of 180 meters. Temperature was 21 degrees centigrade, dew point 21, blah, 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 blah. Moderate wind shear was reported at 200 meters AGL. The runway was covered with 3 millimeters of water. A storm warning was effective for Sochi. According to preliminary data, the aircraft touched down 1,300 meters. And for those of us who need the conversion... I'm one of those 4,265 feet past the runway threshold. That's uh, 9,000 feet long to begin with. That's like halfway down. Yeah, that's halfway down. That's exactly (laughs) what that is. (laughs) Great. You look at the door and you just, everybody I think goes, yeah, the pucker factor factor on that one comes up pretty high, pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was like their third attempt at a landing. Uh, They had gone around a couple of times and, they were thinking we got to get this thing down and uh so you know that was probably not a good decision <laughs> uh 
definitely was not a good decision, I think we can say, because they went 140 meters past the runway end, broke through the aircraft or airport perimeter fence, fell into uh, a riverbed, and the left engine caught fire. The crew initiated an emergency evacuation, and emergency services responded to the alert and put the fire out. So just thought that was interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a Cat 3A is not a land. Is that not correct? Uh, usually, unless you're uh, an airplane like the 737 that has the HUD and yeah. has the authority to use a, a hand-flown down uh, to those men. That's interesting they use that Cat 3A ILS approach. So... Yeah, how, how a Cat Three A does that amount of floating, I don't exactly, understand. Exactly I mean, what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean they're, they're all yeah. auto lands. The only requirement on a Cat Three A, as opposed to a B, is the amount of visual cues you need to confirm that you're safely pointed at the runway. So, what well, is normally a decision out of fifty feet, and you need to have a, an RVR of uh, I'm, I'm you know plucking here because uh, it depends on the airfield. Say two hundred meters. Um, uh, 600 feet odd so just to make sure that you're landing in the on the runway and you're not the the kit hasn't drifted you off to one side uh, that's the only reason difference really between a cat 3a and a cat 3b why the devil the airplane thought it was appropriate to land them that far down or perhaps they kicked it out when they could see because the visibility in the cloud base were pretty damn good quite honestly mm-hmm. Um, I don't un- I don't understand how this happened other than just a really botched uh, landing. Yeah, I think this almost poses more questions or brings up more questions than it answers anything here. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. it does, I think. So hopefully we'll get another update on this, and then we'll, if we do, we'll let you all know. And an interesting amount of water on the runway. Three millimeters millimeters. is the margin between a wet runway and a contaminated runway. Oh, really? Uh, Oh, yes. If it's more than three mils, then uh, the runway should be considered contaminated. And then, of course, you have to go into different braking action uh, capabilities of the aircraft and your landing distance is going to be considerably multiplied. If it's less than three mil, you just consider it wet. Hmm. And this was, I'm sure, a non-groove surface as well. So that helps. Uh, that doesn't help with the, the no. ability for the aircraft to slow down and, and uh, decelerate because, you, you know, you're hydroplaning as you're going down the runway. So on, on a groove runway, it may have not been as big a deal. But, uh, but I think we could all accept the fact that you've just thrown away half your runway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think yeah. the uh, amount of water Oops. on the runway is a little inconsequential <laughs> at that point. Doesn't yeah, at this point. Would it be fine if they landed at the threshold? I'm just looking at my little uh, tape measure here at how much three millimeters actually is, and it's not very much at all. No. Yeah. It's like, what, a uh, quarter of an inch or just no, slightly less than a quarter? <clears throat> less than that. Way yeah, less than that. Eighth, I would say. Yeah, yeah. an eighth. Okay. So. Yikes. Not a lot of water. Not a lot of water. You're right. Doesn't take much to just put that little barrier between your tires and the surface of the runway and create problems. So. A little dab will do you. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, that was what? What was the uh, the what was that product that was? Uh, huh? Brute aftershave. Uh, no, I don't think it was brute. It was, no, it was, it was a like, food product. No, it? it's no? it's a, something for your hair. Oh, I think. I think they. Brill cream? Micah, help out. Oh, I'm thinking out. of something completely different. That's okay. A little dab will do you. I think it had something to do with like Depp or some some kind of product that you put in your hair. That smells horrible, probably. Or on your mustache. Yeah. Brill cream. Thank you, Main Brill- Ma- I knew Micah would come to the rescue. I just Brill said cream. Brill cream. You're all deaf. <laughs> I didn't hear it. No, we just said on the oh, English that? accent. <laughs> Were you saying Brill cream the whole time, Nick? Yes. Yeah. He, he did actually say it. Oh. I'm so sorry. 
it's all right. I'm you are now it. acknowledged. I was thinking about the like it's like a sour cream product, and they talk about dollops. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, uh, uh, dollop. dollop. dollop of daisy. Little, little dabble, do you? And uh, so this goes to uh, Nick. Woo-hoo. You I got the answer right. Micah was there extra too. points. Extra points for Nick. We'll just make sure we are, make a note of Keeping that. Yeah. Yes. 50%. Okay, moving on. Accident uh, Hawaiian A321N at Los Angeles on August 13th. Tail strike on landing. And this is from the Aviation Herald. Uh, they were flying from Kahului, Hawaii to Los Angeles. Kahului, I believe, is Maui, right? It is Maui, yep. Yeah, and uh, they were performing an eyeless approach to Los Angeles's runway six right, a stabilized approach. At about 1,500 feet, the crew received a ground proximity warning system failure message, a GPWS fail message, performed the ECAM actions, and switched the GPWS off. The aircraft continued the landing, however, bounced upon second touchdown, struck its tail onto the runway surface before the pilot flying lowered the nose of the aircraft. Aircraft settled on the runway without further incident and rolled out. The NTSB reported the aircraft sustained substantial damage. The occurrence was rated an accident. The pilot flying expected the GPWS callouts, you know, the GPWS that they turned off. Mm-hmm. He was ex- still expecting the callouts 50, 40, 30, and so on. However, as they did not occur, he was late in initiating the flare, touched down firmly causing the aircraft to bounce. The pitch attitude increased, causing the tail to contact the runway surface. The pilot flying then provided nose down inputs and the landing continued without further incident. And uh, I'm not sure when I actually added this to our news folder, but uh, according to the Aviation Herald, the occurrence aircraft is still on the ground in Los Angeles 32 days after the accident. Mm -hmm. They really banged that thing up pretty good. They certainly did. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one, this one, because the GPWS has absolutely nothing to do with the auto callouts. Really? Yeah. The GPWS is a ground proximity warning system. The auto, the auto callouts are 320. I thought that was a function of the whole system. No, no, no they come from the rat alt. The yeah, radio, radio That's what I was going to say. I thought that's what it is. Is it to be part of the uh, GPWS? No, if your GPWS is faulty, you'll still get the rat alt auto Height call out. Do you think perhaps they managed to turn off both of those? Uh, well, no. You see, if you lose both your adults, you'll lose GPWS. Okay. So the the GPWS requires both radio altimeters to be functioning. In fact, you if you lose radio altimeter number one. Uh, now I'm going 330 here. The 320 might be slightly different. So if there's someone out here, there, a captain now or someone who knows better, please pipe up. But uh, if you use RADALT 1, you'll lose GPWS. Uh, if you lose both RADALTs, you won't get any auto callout. So it, I suspect here that they had a double RADALT failure, uh, and part of the actions meant that they lost GPWS. Um, they may not have appreciated their failure state. They certainly mm-hmm. knew they didn't have GPWS, but uh, I don't think they realized that they perhaps had lost their adult. So it came as a surprise when they didn't get the auto callouts. Uh, however, if um, if you don't get auto callouts, one of the SOPs, Airbus SOPs, is that the pilot monitoring does them for you. So he watches the radio altimeter. 
uh, and gives the call outs. But if they didn't if you have, don't have the radio, exactly, Steph, exactly, you, you get nothing to call. But then a smart pilot will go, okay, well, I'll give him something off the pressure altimeter because it's, yeah. you know, it's still pretty accurate. It's reasonable. Shit. Yeah, all you got to do is subtract the uh, airport elevation from your current elevation uh, and work it out and give him something to go on. But the, the real, I think the real problem was that uh, he, he just didn't, Fly that first landing very well, and then his big problem was not m handling the bounce, bounce properly. Yeah. So, I mean, that caused the tail strike. Well, but they, uh, I mean, in defense, this happened at a very low altitude. I mean, so at that at that point, you know, they would would it say fifteen hundred feet? Was that what it said? Yeah, fifteen hundred feet. feet. So that's you know what minute minute and a half, two minutes at the most until you're mm -hmm. touching down. And uh, that's not a whole lot of time to process all that. So either you go around and, 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 and troubleshoot or you continue the landing, but you have to be aware that you may not have that. And what we have basically here is is basic airmanship. We've become so accustomed to, and even even in our airplane, which is you know the old old lady of the sky at this point, uh, we we have the 50, 40, 30, you know, 20 call, 10 call up. So we depend upon that as well. Um, and when you don't hear it, and you don't react properly, I.e. I usually outside visual references to make sure that you're not going to do what this pilot did. Um, you know, it, it, it's, 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 we're just trained to be dependent upon that technology. And that's, well, that's, and that is a threat of, of the way. That's one use. part of it. But my other thought was too, when you get, and I mean, you guys can tell me more because I don't fly aircraft that are sophisticated enough often to give you a lot of more warning messages to, uh, you know, alert you to when sometimes these things happen. I mean, the Cirrus might be an exception where you might get warnings and enunciations and things like that. But um, I think that for me, that would be a distraction there, you know, on final or, you know, at no. I disagree. Disagree. Okay. Well, I just wasn't no, sure. It's definitely it was a, it's a help for us. And it, we're it, kind of used, used to having that um, aid. Well, just, you know, you have a, you have a message that there's a failure and there's an action to go along with it. And that just takes up your, Oh, concentration, it, you know, so you're thinking about something completely different. And then, you know, as Nick said, didn't appreciate not having the radio altimeters and the call out. So that just adds another layer of um, okay. processing to go on is all I was thinking about. Well, and that's Monday morning quarterbacking right. at that point, you, you know, with that type of failure, do you just go ahead and go misapproach and, and think about what you need to do and run the procedure or, or just, you know, flip, flip the ICAM and, and, you know, clear the message and continue the approach. Well, if it's, it's CAVU and there's really no threat that is perceived at that moment, then maybe just go ahead and continue the approach. Yeah. But the one thing you'd have to think about is just what happened. All right. You don't have 50, 40, the countdown. And uh, so thus you have to be aware of that. And, if they had gone around, they probably would have thought through that. So Yeah, because really, honestly, we're talking the time it takes to work through the ECAM uh, drills and also then review the status page, which will tell you what inoperative systems you now have. And uh, assuming that I'm right in my guess that they had a double radio altimeter failure, um, they would have uh, been able to look at it and it would have gone, the inoperative systems are RA1 and 2, radar 1 and 2, auto call out, CAT2, GPWS, predictive wind shear, TCAS, and uh, GLS auto land if you have that fitted, which I don't suppose they did. Uh, and the fact that you probably need to have to think about all those. If you're trying to, in that last 1,500 feet, do what normally you do, finish configuring the aircraft, get the checklist out of the way, 
and deal with these drills uh, and then appreciate all the ramifications of those that little list of failures, uh, in addition to the fact that um, when the landing gear is down in this situation, you're now using manual pitch trim. So you're now pitch, uh, trimming the aircraft using the wheel that's on the center console, and that comes up in amber on your primary flying display. So it's not something you're going to miss, but it's something you have to think about, that when the gear's down, uh, you're going to uh, use uh, manual pitch trim. Or it may be that they'd left the autopilot in, in which case that manual pitch trim is only required when the autopilot comes out. The autopilot will stop trimming. You now have to manually trim. And, of course, they they may have taken that out quite late. And all of a sudden, they're now in direct law, which is means the aircraft handles slightly differently. But it's still just the – now it's just an, a basic airplane. You just fly it like any other airplane you've ever flown and you're manually trimming it. But all that requires a little bit of appreciation. And uh, without the auto call-outs and those additional factors, I think the captain may, or whoever was flying the airplane, may have been ill-prepared for the landing. So I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, uh, both you, Dana and Steph, in that they should really have gone around and had a think about it because it's not as simple a problem as it might seem uh, on the outside. Well, in, in the way I look at things, especially as a new captain, I look at things and, and say, okay, what in final evaluation, if I was sitting in front of the FAA or the NTSB, what would they you know, view my actions in, in, in proper sequence and, and what should I consider here? And my, my simple response is just like you just went through there, Nick, is that they're going to say, well, why didn't this guy go around? Why did they just clear out this 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 uh, this message and continue. So, cause you didn't, they didn't really get the, uh, the full, uh, full thought process process through in that short amount of time. And I only have one question. Did it still call you a retard? <laughs> yes, it probably will. <laughs> oh, it actually, no, probably wouldn't. Pro probably actually. didn't. Probably no, didn't. Probably so. wouldn't because uh, that call comes out at 20 feet or, or 10 feet, depending on the mode on the rad and it may not, not have done, but I think most of us would probably know that when the appropriate time to close the, thrust levers is I, I said that specifically for Captain for Al. who's listening yeah. yes the thrust levers <laughs> another thing uh, that's uh, one of the commenters on the Aviation Herald uh, made a point um, about is the fact that they are the A321s are fairly new to Hawaiian and they've been slowly replacing a 767 fleet for their longer runs so perhaps they were new and they're not completely uh, you know accustomed to all these things and as we've said uh now uh, a few times is that they probably should have said you know what i'm not sure what the implications are of this mo uh, mode failure so let's go around get vectored around and kind of sort it all out uh, and then come in for a landing yeah so hindsight's always 2020 right and Thanks. the mm -hmm. 320 is significantly longer than then yeah you know it's a lower wheelbase it's got a, a higher much higher likelihood of having a tail strike on that aircraft anyway it's just like the 900 73900 yeah. so yep okay yeah it's not the first time that a 321 has had a, a tail strike they've had many and i'm sure it will not be the last um hmm Well, this next one deserves the Bad Boys theme song. Uh, unruly 
DJ, a Philadelphia DJ, was able to pass a background check to take a semi-private jet smarter flight from Las Vegas to New York, even though he had been posting disturbing threats on Twitter. His name is Maurice Paola. Paola? I'm not sure. Paola? Never heard of them. I don't I don't really follow the uh, Philadelphia DJs, actually. No. Uh, 23 forced an emergency landing of the 12-passenger jet in North Platte, Nebraska, September 3rd, after he argued with a flight attendant and threatened to decap- deca- <laughs> decapitate passengers. Hmm. The Lincoln Star Journal reported that the jet had just taken off when Paola, quote, started throwing items at passengers, walking back and forth, pounding on windows, banging his head on walls and insisting that the plane land immediately. The pilot, after failing to calm him down, retreated to the cockpit while the flight attendant used an oxygen tank to defend herself and a family with children ages four and six cowered in the back of the plane. Paola faces up to 20 years if convicted of interfering with the flight crew. And uh, wow, talking about a, <laughs> yeah, we get to ride on a on a private jet. And then this guy starts going berserk and threatening yeah. to decapitate passengers. I, I'm just curious what uh, background checks that people seem to think that this bloke should have undergone. I'm going, he's a passenger on he an airplane. He paid for a ticket, right? Right. <laughs> background check. Who does a Twitter feed background check on every passenger? Oh, give me a break. I know. Especially on a private jet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is there, even less there, you know? Yeah. The, the, I mean, there is certain protocols that on, you know, on commercial airlines, they, they run through, you know, that we obviously not going to talk about, but, um, you know, there's a little more there, but certainly this certainly would not have come up even on a commercial airline. No. Nope. Not at all. But if they had been following this dude on Twitter, they would have noted the day earlier before this flight. Here's the his here's his tweet. Call the cops. I dare you. They'll get taken out. And then on August 31st, he tweeted from a jail cell to the private jet. Uh, let's see. Laughing. Uh, LMAO. They can't stop me. What's the LMAO again? Stand Laugh my Laugh. backside off. A off. Okay. <laughs> they can't stop me. Well, yeah, we can. Oh, well. So thought that might be uh, an interesting passenger misbehavior. <laughs> it certainly was. <laughs> I'd love to hear um, Pilot Pip's take on that. Because you, you don't have a lot of, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the, if they have a big cockpit door or whether it's just a curtain on these type mm-hmm. of aircraft uh, or anything at all. So I don't know. It probably varies depending on the operator, I would say, maybe. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah. so I'm imagining this was, uh, you know, Pilot Pip and his passenger, uh, Carlos. Mm. As a DJ. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not, <laughs> not trying to suggest that. So, I, 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 if I was the captain, I'd just put Pilot Pip to stand in the doorway. That would be the ideal thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, interesting. Very interesting. Hey, it looks like uh, Dana, you need to go. Um, uh, but we go get ready. I'm going to the um, Mercedes-Benz. Stadium oh, yes. here in Atlanta, the, the new one, and I'm really looking forward to it. The Atlanta Falcons are taking on the New Orleans Saints in American football, um, which is a actually a very big rivalry. So I'm really looking forward to experiencing that. i got to remind myself not to get to air, bring earplugs because it will be pretty loud in there. But, uh, yeah, got uh, friends taking us to the game today, so I've got to kick off and um, wish you Lucky guys adieu. 
Lucky Enjoy man. Yeah, have a great Beautiful time. Yeah. And uh, I hope you get a boat fixed. Oh, sorry. I've been working. Well. I've been working. I've been working on that uh, RPM and trim gauge all summer. So yes, Good I'll man. get that fixed Good eventually. <laughs> Anyways, all right, guys. Great all seeing you. All. Have a great morning. Bye, APG Cheers. community, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. All right. See you, David. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Okay. Um, now, this next item. Uh, is regarding an incident that occurred uh, in the New York area, uh, an airplane coming into John F. Kennedy, uh, an Air India Flight 101. And I'm just trying to scramble here to see if I can find where that piece of um, audio that I prepared for this is, and I don't see it (laughs) anywhere. So I'm going to have to play the YouTube video, and uh, we'll have to take a listen that way. So let's see how this works. On the 11th of September 2018, early morning, Air India 101 operated by a, a Boeing 777-300ER from Delhi had multiple navigation instrument failures on final approach into New York. The following is a radio recording of the incident retreat from liveatc.net. Uh, good morning, Air India 101, uh, final four right. Air India 101, heavy Kennedy Tower, good morning, you're following an Embraer short final, wind 040 at 4, RVR 3000, runway 4 right, clear to land. 4 right, clear to land, Air India 101. Star Air India 101, going around uh, runway 4 right. Air India 101 Heavy, Roger, fly runway heading, climb and maintain 2000. Runway heading 2000, Air India 101. They will approach Air India 101. Air India 101, thank you. Turn right heading 100. Right heading 100, Air India 101. And I'm just going to pause it for a moment. The person that did this video thought that the guy said stable approach, but I think that the very beginning part of I that heard. transmission was unstable yeah, I approach. Yeah, like, approach. Right. Okay. Uh, and I think the usually the tower will ask you why are you going around because they have to make a, a you know a, a note of it on their logs as to why somebody was going around, and so he said unstable approach. Air India one zero one heavy contacting your departure on one three five point nine. We'll talk to you in a few minutes. One three five point nine. Good day, Air India one zero one. Air India one one heavy approach. Uh, good Air India one zero one heavy, uh, Mr. On Mr. Runway 4 right, maintaining uh, 2000, heading uh, 100. Runway 101 heavy, thank you. You're at a contact. Turn right heading 180, altimeter 3011. Right heading 180, altimeter 3011, air India 101. Runway 101 heavy, ADIS is in summation uh, November. Expect ILS approach runway 4 right. November 4 right, air India 101. Air India 101 heavy, the RV off runway 4 right, 3500. 3500, thank you, air India 101. Air India 101 Heavy, turn right heading 200. Right heading 200, Air India 101. And, uh, uh, Air India 101, uh, could we have uh, longer vectors? We were facing some uh, instrument uh, problems as well. Yes, okay. Uh, it's, it's pretty busy there, so yeah, you can find out a little bit longer final. Was that the reason for the go around? Uh, A firm. because uh, we lost uh, the uh, localizer, we lost. Uh, and our minima changed, and uh, so there were a lot of issues involved. So we're trying to sort that out, uh, if we can even continue with this approach. Okay. Yeah, 
you need some time to work everything out, or do, are you ready to see your first? No, we need some time to work this out. Oh, okay, okay. So just fly heading uh, 170 for me, and uh, is 2000 okay? Uh, 170 uh, heading, and uh, yeah, 2000 is uh, okay for us. Okay, great. Aaron, do you want to one heavy speed at your discretion? Speed with us, Aaron, that was better. Thank you. And approach here in the Avanza 1, I request better for Stuart Airport. Okay, you ready to see the first now? Exit, sir, I request better present better for Stuart. I'm sorry, say again. Hello, Sira Fox, not ready better, please, sir. Okay, do you want to divert to Stuart, Sierra Whiskey Fox, We would like to have the weather present better. And, uh, Newark and, uh, 101. We have some onboard instruments, uh, problem, and because of that, we are not able to conduct the RLS for 048 as, uh, you, you suggested us. And now we are just looking for the alternates, what best we can do. Do we have any sector visibility where, uh, we can come from the other side and, uh, uh not use an RLS and, uh, continue on the wind and come, back, come and land into, uh, New York or, uh, uh EWR is, uh, is the same. Uh, do we expect? Okay. Um, thank you, Sam. Uh, hang on, uh, fly heading 270 into your 101 heading. Okay, 270. And uh, we're just wondering if uh, EWR is getting better, perhaps we can go to EWR uh, if the uh, cloud and the ceilings are better. Okay, well right now the weather that I have is showing um, indefinite ceiling 200 at Kennedy. Uh, RVR is uh, 4,500, so that's gotten a little bit better. Yeah, okay, uh, the visibility is fine, but the problem we are facing is with uh, the ceiling because uh, we can't continue with the ILS uh, with a ceiling of uh, 200 because every time we try to lock on to uh, the uh, localizer, uh, you know, the instrumentation does, does, doesn't allow us to do that. Okay, okay so you, can't, you cannot do like an auto land or something? Uh, no, auto land is not available because both uh, uh, we've got two radio altimeter failures. So we're on uh, one radio altimeter. We've got uh, TCAS failures. We've got all multiple uh, uh, instrument uh, failures. Okay, uh, so let me try and find. So you need something with a with a better. So what ceiling do you need? Uh, we need something uh, where we uh, you know we have uh, where we can do like a non-position approach and. Uh, you know, anything above, uh, like, 600 or so. Okay, I got it. Okay, I understand now. Just uh, fly heading 220, let me find some weather, pull some weather up, and let me find something. Okay, thanks. And uh, just be, uh, before I, I, I go away, uh, what was your potential alternate? Uh, the primary alternate was uh, Newark, and uh, the secondary alternate is uh, Stewart, but both seem to be, uh, you know, in the same sort of situation. Gotcha, okay. I'm going to do some research. I'll get back to you in a second. Just, uh, just, uh, uh hang on a second. Yep, thank you. Uh, Aaron, do you want to heavy? I'm having trouble finding anything that's really that good. I have Albany is 600 feet overcast, and Boston, Logan would be, uh, 500 overcast. Um, um, is, uh, what I'm trying to find, da uh, Washington, Dulles is, uh, is at 200 feet also. Okay, and uh, any idea on the trend as far as this goes, or it's indefinite, like you said earlier? Yeah, the, the, the clouds, it's been cloudy like, with this kind of marine layer for most of the morning, I believe. Okay, uh, 
we were just checking uh, Boston as well because we're getting uh, a little low on the fuel as well. So we need to decide quick. And uh, we're burning quite a lot at the time. Get higher, we can burn a little less fuel, and then uh, I believe Pittsburgh is 2,500. Because uh, uh, you know this ILS is unpredictable. Because every time 
we uh, turn towards the localizer, it's uh, it's just gone. Okay, so your ILS is out of service on both, both sides of the airplane, right? Uh, that's correct. And then the uh, you said also the radar altimeters are out on both sides of the airplane? Uh, that's right. We are on a single radio altimeter now. Okay, so you just have the basic altimeter? Uh, yes. Localizer on a VNAV approach into Newark, is that correct? Uh, if up. We'd like to try the VNAV approach into uh, Newark. Okay, so we, what we will do is we'll clear for the ILS-4 right at Newark, but you're going you're gonna to fly it as a VNAV approach. That's correct. And uh, if I have a better ceiling, at least once I go visual, I can uh, continue my approach. Aaron, do you want to win? Okay, so you're on vectors now, heading 270 vectors to Newark. You'll do ILS approach to runway 4 right, and you're going to fly it in VNAV mode, correct? That's okay. So thank you very much. Heading 270 India 101. Aaron, do you want to Other than both ILSs, both radar altimeters, what other things have failed on the airplane? Uh, basically, here we've got a uh, single source uh, radio altimeter. We've got TCAS failure, no auto land, uh, wind shear system, uh, auto speed brake, and the. Uh, and APU is unserviceable as well. Okay, I didn't understand that one. We'll last one. So TCAS failed, no auto brakes, and uh, stand by one second. Okay, here in the 101. Uh, so just when you get a chance, give me the people on board and the fuel on board, please. Uh, we have total of 370 and uh, fuel, uh, here, uh, 7,200 uh, kg, here in the one. 7,200 kilograms, you said? Yeah, for me, Aaron, do you 101? Um, okay, so you have one operational navigation radio that you're going to choose the ILS post 4 right at Newark, correct? Uh, yes, it'll be uh, it'll be in uh, uh, basically a LNAV VNAV uh, approach that I want to uh, attempt here. Okay, understood. Aaron, do you 101? Is there anything else that you need uh, from me? Very good, sir. Thank you for the support. And uh, thank you very much. No, you're welcome. I uh, wish there was more I could do for you. Thanks. Thanks. Aaron, do you want to join heavy contact New York approach 127.3? Thank you very much. And then uh, it ends. Uh, that's the uh, end of the audio. Air India 101 landed safely at Newark at 8.34 local time. The tower advised the aircraft was low on approach when he was on finals at Newark. And uh, let's see, the airplane flew as Air India 102 the next day to Delhi and resumed normal operations by the 13th of September. Okay, so they come in. It's early in the morning at 7 o'clock. Uh, I thought it was interesting. The guy says, well, it looks like the the everything's going to get a lot better in three hours. <laughs> I know, after he's already said, um, we don't have much fuel remaining. Yeah, for we have a fuel situation here. We just flew all the way across. From India, probably. Yeah. yeah. Or where are and from? I, forget. I think part of the problem here, and I'll see if you guys agree with me, is the fact that the and this is a language barrier, I think, with their, you know, using English as not their native language. I think if, if he had said we need an RNAV approach, that that would have helped a little bit with the controller's understanding. Because I don't know. I the, thought that was pretty clear what they were asking for. I mean, yeah, but apparently, as some people have said in the uh, in the chat room, um, you know, not all the air traffic controllers and probably majority of them are not pilots. So they maybe don't understand how our instrument approaches work. Um, and if you're not able to get a localizer 
because um, at the end he was saying, okay, so you're going to do the ILS, uh, but the vertical and VNAV. And I'm thinking, no, he's saying that every time he sees a localizer and tries to capture it, it just disappears. So obviously they can't use the localizer as a lateral aid to get to the runway. They need to use something other than the instrument landing system. They need to do, you know. You know. But he never said, the Air India guy never said RNAV. He kept saying VNAV. No, but didn't he say non-precision at one point, too? He said a non-precision, but an ILS localizer is a non-precision. So that's what the controller is thinking. thinking. Okay. Gotcha. Um, But I thought he at one point said he couldn't use... Uh, he did. never he, did say localizer specifically, but that's what I took it as. And he mentioned several times that uh, that they they were having trouble with the localizer. I mean, um, he definitely made it clear that they were unable to do an ILS type of approach. I thought so. I I thought so too. But again, we're coming at it as uh, yeah. our perspective as pilots, and we understand what he's trying to convey. But I think there was a a lot of confusion there as to oh, what no, he I mean, was, that was actually very, wanting you know, to he, do. You can tell when the um, you know, and this was a good example of. Um, not so much the content of the communication, but not becoming frustrated, I think, on either end. You know, it was clear that they mm-hmm. both, I think, realized they didn't know what the other one was looking for or asking for. But there was a lot of attempt made to clarify that. But it got very repetitious and it felt like they were taking a lot of time going over the same material over and over and over again when maybe there were different ways to approach the questions, um, potentially. But you think about a lot how of high, of, high workloads going on on both ends there, you know. A lot of stress. A lot of stress. Uh, because... They're running out of fuel. Um, Not just Nick, from the pilot uh, side, but the controller side as well. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to look up weather for all of these different airports, you know, and it doesn't look good. So I'm sure he's doing a lot on that end to try and even come up with options and then figure out which airports have uh, the capability that the pilot's looking for. Um, so that's not easy on his end either. I was surprised that he mentioned Pittsburgh. I'm thinking, Pittsburgh? I know. I was like, that's, <laughs> that's kind western of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Well, that, so, I mean, that tells you where the weather got better. So just, you know, keeping that in mind, if you're familiar at all with the geography of the east, you know, northeast U.S., um, if that's the closest he can find that has weather that, you know, meets that criteria, that's doesn't bode well for trying to find something that um, will allow them to easily shoot a non-precision approach. 7,200 kilograms uh, doesn't sound like a lot of fuel in a very large no. twin jet, no. does it, uh, Captain Nick? Uh, seven and a half tons? No, not really. Um, it's it's normal sort of landing fuel, so you should have diversion on top of that, but he never actually mentioned, I, I don't think, well, actually he might have said Stuart Field was his nominated diversion, which of course is a lot closer than Pittsburgh. So well, he, he said, said, he said Newark, Newark was a primary. Newark, yeah, okay, two. well, that's, that's even closer. But the uh, mm-hmm. fact is, we usually allow about 20 minutes for flying to get to Newark because we know it's going to be contorted. Um, I, I thought I heard him say he wanted an LNAV VNAV approach right at the beginning. At the very end of it. Oh, was it the end of the beginning? I've written it down in my notes here. But yeah, so, so at some point, he did mention that. But I'd be a little surprised if the controllers were confused about that because just looking at an approach plate. I mean, it says RNAV approach, but it also says LNAV, VNAV minima. And then the approach controller, the controller should be pretty familiar with his own airfield's approach plates. So it, it would be the same for JFK and, and Newark. Um, but the, I, I list, I've heard a lot more in this because I followed a, a, either that one or another one all the way through to the end. And they're still asking, he's <laughs> He's still trying to get across to the controller that he just wants an RNAV approach. And the mm-hmm. con- he's saying, well, just give me an ILS, I'll fly an overlay. 
and they're using terminology that neither of them are really understanding. So they haven't found a common <laughs> terminology yet. Uh, and he's he the captain is um, uh, giving a list of failures that have really very little relevance to what he's going to do. In fact, at one point he said he he's got a, a single radio alnamina. Uh, and of course, the controller thinks now he's got a single radio because that's what he came out and said later when he tried to clarify the list of problems. He got, he said you got one radio, uh, and the guy actually said yes. So I'm going, oh, that's not what not you meant. Quite, you, it was a radio. It was a radalt that you had the problem with. And what's well, that has no real relevance at the moment. You've got a radalt. Okay, that's fine. That's you only need one, uh, and you're going to do a, an RNAV approach. You don't need any. So you know, stop keep confusing the situation with things that aren't really important. Your APU's broken. Okay, well, <laughs> the approach controller can <laughs> even, really. even said, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> no, one, no one's going to care about that until you shut down both engines when you park the airplane and it all goes dark and you suddenly remember that you haven't got a, anyway, by the way. Um, I, so I think there was a lot of, uh, no one really defined exactly, took a grip of this problem and said, I need this, I need an airfield close with this minima because I've got this amount of time left because I can no longer fly an ILS. Yeah. And they, there was an awful lot of chit-chat. It took there was, an awful lot of time There was a lot of, questions. you know, not putting the priorities first, I felt like, you know? Yeah. It's like, what's the what's the biggest limiting factor here? Okay, well, it's going to be fuel at some point, right? And you need an approach that you can actually fly that has appropriate minimum and somewhere within that radius of time that you have dictated by your fuel to get there. And those were the the problems. I, I think that this, in my, my perspective is that if he hadn't unfortunately referred to an RNAV approach as a VNAV approach, that may have more quickly resolved this. I think that for some reason, the ATC guy latched on to the fact that he has lateral guidance with a localizer. He just doesn't have vertical guidance. So he needs to do a non-precision approach and he's going to use the vertical nav uh, for his vertical path. And what I think the uh, Air India guy really meant to say was RNAV because that's the way we, that's the way these approaches are named. I mean, if you look at your list of approaches going into these runways at these airports, you have ILSs and you have RNAVs. And I think if you just said RNAV, that probably would have cleared up a lot of things very quickly early on in this whole thing. And uh, that's just my my opinion about this. No, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. But we also would know if a guy said, I want to do an RNAV approach, and he said, I want an LNAV, VNAV approach, you and I would probably both know that he's now expecting to do a lateral navigation and a vertical navigation approach. Right. But it wasn't until the very, it wasn't until the very end that he used L nav. The, the very first time was at the very end of this. Yeah. All the other references that the air India guys made were V nav, never L nav until the very end. And I think in that, and you could almost tell at that point they go, Oh, bing, the light bulb goes off in this guy's head. He needs basically an R nav approach. Yeah. So if they just said that from the from the onset, uh, I think, or even a VOR non precision approach, but I don't even know if they have those things listed on a on a triple sevens database, um, you know, anymore. Well, it's still a an, an approach. I mean, you can still yeah do a VOR approach. And I'm just looking at uh, for let's have a look. 
I was trying to find JFK and see what the minima were for. Yeah, I was actually uh, just probably trying to pull that up too. And that was the other thing, you know, is that uh, at first he thought that the the visibility was the limitation. And he goes, nope, you know, we it's the ceiling. Yeah. And we're doing a non-precision. We got to get below the ceiling so we can actually see something, you know. So I think finally he, he kind of grasped that earlier on. Uh, but again, it wasn't until the very end that uh, the guy finally understood what he was trying yeah. The uh, Air India guy was trying to convey. Interesting list of faults. So I wonder what the underlying problem was, because to lose ILSs on both sides of the aircraft, and when I say that, both the captain and the first officer have independent ILSs, so uh, to lose them both and to lose the other list of bits and bobs that were wrong with the airplane, either he was dragging a, a barely serviceable airplane across uh, all the way from India to America, or he'd had uh, an electrical problem which had taken all that kit out. And it's very rare for you to lose, have an electrical problem that takes out both ILSs because usually at least one of them is protected by an essential buzz somewhere. So I'm just a little curious to know how or why he ended up in that situation. But that's just a matter of curiosity. It doesn't really affect yeah. what we're talking about. It's a little bit different situation this time than the last time we talked about the uh, Kennedy controllers and the guy losing patience because he was trying to fit the Aer Lingus guy in a very tight airspace on departure. In this case, uh, it seemed like the controller – now, it may have something to do with the fact that the traffic levels were much lower that time of day uh, and, and there wasn't so much stress uh, and uh, airspace restriction – stuff that they had to worry about here but it seems to me that the controller other than misunderstanding what the air india guy was trying to convey uh, was doing a pretty good job of being calm and being helpful and all that kind of stuff so you know kudos to to them for that mm -hmm. yeah now, do you refer to an on as a gps approach Sometimes, but it's also it's always preceded with RNAV. So it's RNAV GPS, it's RNAV RMP, it's always RNAV something. something. It can be RNAV yeah. GPS, RNAV RMP. Yeah. That's what they're going to say on the uh, ATIS. They're going to say you know RNAV approach to bomb. And so it's RNAV is the key, I think here. Yeah. He, if he had instead said RNAV instead of VNAV, then I think that everything would have happened a little bit more quickly. No, I I I, I agree. And he was trying to land initially on four right, and the RNAV uh, GPS approach for that has LNAV, VNAV, decision altitude of 369 feet. So it's not too bad. I mean, the airport's what, then, 13, 15 feet high, so you've got to have a cloud base 350 feet. And, you know, it's a bit marginal, but certainly in Newark, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. He would have got hit off that. But Yeah, because uh, yeah, they said Newark was at 400, yeah. Kennedy was still at 200, 200 indefinite. Yeah. But when they say indefinite like that, I mean, as Nick just said, that 300-something may have been just enough to see what you need to see to continue. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, 370 passengers, not a lot of fuel. Yeah. Having flown, who knows how many hours that flight not must idea. have taken, but it was a very long flight. Yeah. So if they turn the lights up bright, you can often see them just down off the nose enough to continue the approach is what Jeff's saying so even though the official cloud base might be lower than that you know you can often get get a bit of the lights enough to continue until you properly visual yeah okay well i thought that was interesting yeah. um though that that situation and it kind of just shows you um yeah <laughs> you you have a designated alternate and you have the 
alternate requirements for weather and everything else. But you can find yourself sometimes in this kind of position where a very large geographic swath is covered by low visibility and low ceilings and your designated alternate may not i mean maybe okay if you have you know the appropriate rudimentary equipment, equipment. To, <laughs> yeah but in this case it's like uh oh you know we we don't have anything that we can really do a uh, a solid precision approach to the this kind of minima um so yeah i could i would imagine that things were quite stressful in that cockpit Mm. So good job yeah, to those well, guys. For good job all around and good yeah. outcome. So. All right. Um, I'm going to skip F because um, we're, we've been doing the news now for about an hour and I want to make sure we get some of our feedback covered as well today. So um, just quickly, item G um, and many of you sent us feedback regarding this uh, and I saw it a lot on Twitter and Facebook and every, everywhere else. Uh, it seems that uh the vendor, I don't know if it was Cathay Pacific themselves or a vendor that they used to have their airplanes painted, but apparently somebody had a little issue with spelling. <laughs> Just a small <laughs> and, issue. Yeah. Well, it almost looks like they didn't get the spacing right either. Like they left out the letter and the spacing is. <laughs> so we're looking at a photo, which we'll put in the show notes. Um, it the, the airline is Cathay Pacific, uh, but apparently they dropped the F. Not the F-bomb, but just the letter F. <laughs> so it's P-A-C-I-I-C. So it's like it you looks like. look at it and you don't even know how to pronounce it. It's like peck. No. Well, I Pe was trying to work out if it was some strange set of Roman numerals that. Yes, I think so. <laughs> it does look doesn't like even Roman. make sense from that. No. Or some kind of Cyrillic uh, alphabet or something. <laughs> anyway. Um, so that was very, uh, very embarrassing for Cathay. Yeah. Uh, well, it was. The but they got it fixed. Was they got it out onto the line, looking like that? Did they? <laughs> well, it was out of the hangar, so yeah. you know, everyone managed to take pictures of it, which was very embarrassing because you'd have thought they'd have spotted it in the hangar, the paint shop. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> well, you know, if the, the folks doing the painting English isn't their, uh, you know, native language, might be easily overlooked in that case. Yeah, because it all looks like that to them. Yeah, right. I mean, I wouldn't notice if there was a spelling mistake in most, uh, well, any other language really <laughs> that I don't speak. Like if they had the the, the kanji or whatever yeah, that's called, so all you, those, you, you know, like Chinese, you, Japanese, like Korean. Right. I would not. Think yeah, similar enough. But like, yeah, it's close yeah. enough, right? Still makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> no, not really. But you think about how no. they actually like do paint uh, aircraft too, and um, especially putting on lettering and things like that. A lot of it is covered up, and they're just you know, it's templates and stencils, basically. So I could see how it could happen. Yeah. Just assume that, that to the left was that that stuff was covering up the F. Mm -hmm. So now it's time for me to put the next I. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it. Yeah. All right. I think now it's time for feedback. Captain. Incoming message. This is from Nick Kidd, and uh, he sent us audio feedback, so let's take a listen. Well, good morning, APG crew, and a very windy welcome from the Isle of Wight. To be fair, I think you've had your own windy weather to deal with that makes our weather seem like a gentle breeze. So I hope you've all weathered the storm without too much disruption. 
I was sat here crafting some feedback for the show when I was suddenly struck with an irrational notion of making it audio feedback, a notion induced neither by substance nor alcohol. Strange times. Anyhow, let the magic commence. I just thought I'd take the trouble to personally thank Captain Nick for the truly wonderful job he did in narrating the story of my uncle's wartime experiences. It was done with your usual flair and meticulous attention to detail. It was an emotional experience to listen to for both me and my family, especially my father, that's Jeff and John's younger brother, who's in his 90s, living in pool and still going strong. We're all sincerely grateful. I was fascinated to hear Captain Jeff's response to the story. He notes that Jeff's loss of his brother seemed to be met with a certain matter-of-fact, a sense of resignation. It was very apparent to me that my Uncle Jeff never conveyed any of the emotion of his experiences. After all, he was a 19-year-old who, on a nightly basis, was being asked to strap into a few tons of wooden fabric and fly for hours above enemy territory in the knowledge that there was a likelihood that they would not return. It's difficult for us to imagine what that felt like. Today, a 19-year-old would agonise over what mobile phone contract to sign to. You know the kind of thing. I once asked him what he felt at the time. He skirted around the answer. As you said, it was just something that you did. You got on with it. I sense no desire on his part to swim about in the emotion of that time ever again. What I do know is that, as a twin, the loss of his brother affected him profoundly for the rest of his life. At the time of their birthdays, he would become quite pensive and anxious. He never seemed to resolve his grief, let alone reveal it in any meaningful sense to the outside world. There's a remarkable codicil to this story. Although my father and his parents were aware of the loss of John that night, they only had an idea of what had happened. John's logbook was endorsed that he was missing and presumed dead. They had learned that a collision had occurred at some point during the mission that night, but were unaware of the location or as to whether the bodies of the crews had been recovered. For them there was merely the knowledge that his life finished somewhere over central France. It wasn't until 1952, when my father was doing his national service as a surgeon lieutenant in the Royal Navy, stationed at Greenock, acting as the medical transport officer for the NATO Reserve Fleet during Operation Mainbrace. Now, he was billeted at a house owned by a Mrs. McCluskey. At some point, she asked whether my father would like to read a book written by her brother, who had been a padre and had served with the Maquis in central France. Almost to be polite, my father said that he would read the book called Parachute Padre. In the book, there was a chapter called Supply Costs Lives. As he read the chapter, the gradual shocking realisation that the description of a collision between two aircraft engaged in the process of dropping supplies was in fact a detailed description of the accident involving his brother. The date matched. Further, it detailed that the bodies of both crews had indeed been recovered and buried in the cemetery of a tiny village near Marigny-l'Eglise. 
Thus it was, through this extraordinary coincidence, that our family became aware of the story and John's final resting place. Closure some eight years later for John's family. I hope you'll be interested by this additional story. It'll be great to meet up sometime. I'm not so far away from Captain Nick, just a little way across the water. I'm working on it. Thanks again for your work on Plain Tales, Captain Nick. Very much appreciated. Kind regards, Nick Kidd. Oh, by the way, I frequently hear listeners of the podcast ask about whether you think they can train to become an airline pilot. I spent a lifetime being immersed in aviation, simulators, all sorts of bits and pieces. I even did uh, some flying training when I was, I think, 12, would you believe? Anyhow, earlier this year, I applied for and was accepted by the training provider of a large operator based in the UK to commence training as a first officer. Uh, Regrettably, I had to withdraw from the process. The costs of doing so versus the risks in my being able to recover them were too great to expect of my family. But it was an interesting experiment. I'll be 56 years old next April. Well, it's a dieu from this little part of southern England. You know, the usual cliches feel like they're becoming a little worn out, so I'd like to wish that your flaps always have free movement and that your gyros always be fully erect. Keep up the great work, guys, and take care. Yes, isn't that lovely? Isn't it a fantastic addendum to uh, Nick's story? So, uh, yeah, and the story of his family. Uh, And In the chat room, people are saying, isn't it remarkable? Um, What an amazing family. And to be able to have that kind of background and history, uh, and I'm absolutely certain pride in your ancestors uh, and what your the previous generations have done it must be a very rewarding feeling even though uh, some of it is of course tinged with sadness but thank you very much indeed for that uh, nick really appreciate it and as nick said that extraordinary coincidence uh, of that small village in france and how they knew about that Mm -hmm. mid-air collision and knew where to feet things you know yeah And also very interesting, uh, his addendum uh, or the uh, the PS uh, where the postscript where he talks about the fact that he was accepted into this uh, large operators program as a first officer and at his age, which is really surprising to me. I think it just shows, well, you know, a couple things, like you said, if you're thinking about it, you're probably not too old um, unless you're maybe like 64 uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> probably not going probably to be hired, hired with one year. <laughs> but I think it just shows that, you know, you keep talking about this pilot shortage uh, issue. And um, yeah, if you've got a 10 year career ahead of you, that's attractive to airlines. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Nick, for your well, for for first the uh, story, the plain tale and uh, then this addendum, uh, which really put the uh, the icing on the cake, as they say. Very much so. Oh, this was just, can you believe this? Uh, it was a shocking story. Shocking. Uh, many of you sent this in, uh, including Captain Steve Horn. Now, you know, I'm, he refers to himself now as First Officer Steve because he used to be a captain, a line check airman, and captain for a regional airline, and now is in training for a big freight operation here. I think he's calling it uh, Acme Purple. 
and he is technically a first officer again. But I'm thinking, and Liz and I were talking about this, and I said, you know, I believe once a captain, always a captain, right? In 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 our in our minds and hearts, right? Oh, absolutely. So, Captain Steve, you're you're going to be Captain Steve at least on the APG. Well, can you call me squad leader, uh, Nick? But from now on, then. No. Oh, okay. All right, let's move on with this feedback. <laughs> okay, squadron leader. Nick. That's just too hard to say. It's, Captain too, Nick's it, much it's easier. just mouthful. Doesn't roll off the uh, tongue at all. You can just call so me this, boss if you like. <laughs> this shocking story: uh, passengers on a Glasgow-bound uh, Uni- Glasgow-bound United Airlines flight shocked as a pilot takes a nap. People feared the pilot's actions on this New Jersey to Glasgow flight were posed a safety risk. And they have some photo evidence of the uh, uh, the, the pilot in the passenger cabin um, sleeping, and uh, and uh, his un- obviously he took off his uniform shirt and and tie to get a little bit more com- comfortable. Um, the plane captain shocked passengers when he stripped off his uniform and went for a sleep in first class. An hour into the transatlantic flight, the incident happened during a seven-hour journey from Newark to New Jersey to uh, Glasgow. Uh, concerned passengers feared that the United Airlines pilot's actions posed a safety risk. Of course, what we all know, everybody that listens to the show, is that uh, that is the way it works these days when you have a long-haul flight and you have um, cruise pilots, extra pilots, that you kind of uh, alternate in your uh, rest breaks. And now, I'm not sure how we do it uh, or they do it at United. I know that uh, at my company, if they don't have a, a dedicated uh, crew rest facility uh, away from passenger eyes, uh, there is a business class seat that has some, it almost looks like a cocoon that they wrap around this thing. And so you don't really see, uh, it's not in public view, the, the, the pilot sleeping or whatever. I'm not sure how it's done at uh, Acme Red, Nick, maybe you could uh, well, tell us. Well, some of our aircraft have crew rest, and, and others where we're required uh, to take uh, rest and there isn't crew rest, uh, we just curtain off. Uh, they just have little curtains on studs they put around to give a, a level of privacy and to kind of stop this misunderstanding. Uh, although I, I read the story, and, and I'm, I'm the, the guy that – that reported this story and took the pictures was a police inspector. You know, you kind of assume that he would know a little bit about life uh, and that he <laughs> had Google and that he, if he was really interested, know why the captain was there. He might have asked the cabin crew if he was that concerned, why he thought it was right to do it, to approach this uh, thing he saw the way he did and create a big, furore about it when there's absolutely nothing wrong just because his police officers would be uh, uh, given a hard time if they went to sleep in their police cars. Well, they're not on duty for the same length of time as this bloke is going to be. And uh, they, he has no idea. And if he, but he could have found out quite easily what the rest requirements are for uh, the crew. So I'm just going, you know, engage your brain, old chap, and, you know, take a look at how the world oh, the, works before you start bleating about it. The newspaper could have done that too. Yeah, of yeah. course it could. Yeah. But <laughs> well, so here's the real burning question and the one that everyone in the chat room wants to know. If you've seen the, the picture that was posted, uh, what's with the five stripes on the uniform there? 
Ooh, good catch. Yeah. Well, now I'm not absolutely Ooh. positive about this, but somebody told me, and I thought that they were joking, but apparently maybe they weren't, that there were a certain number or group of pilots at United Airlines that uh, flew the 747 and were with the company for a certain number of years. And they actually wore epaulets that had five stripes on them. And I really thought that they were just pulling my leg. But um, unless somebody did some Photoshop work here with this photo, apparently that's, that's a real thing. Maybe somebody out there listening to the show can say <laughs> or some tell light us. On that. We'd be curious to know. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, we had, that what, was in, in lieu of giving them something substantial as a reward for doing longevity with an airline or whatever. They just give them an extra strike. Like a nice bonus or... It's yeah, a lot cheaper. Exactly right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, you mentioned that if you're in the in the business class or passenger cabin, uh, you have some kind of curtains or drapery or just as we have at Acme to kind of keep something like this happening where somebody coming by and snapping yeah, a photo you a of you sleeping. I'm wondering if that is the case with uh, this airline as well. And maybe they, maybe it was not working or written up or whatever, not I functioning. Don't I don't ever fly with yeah. this airline. Could, could well have been the situation. I mean, our cabin crew faced the same problem on our three thirties. There's no, crew rest area for them but uh to stop the passengers when they take a short break and they do it at you know intervals um to stop the passengers coming up and demanding them that they get up and get and make them a cup of tea or whatever they do curtain off uh, their their jump seats so that they can just sit on their jump seats and not be disturbed for a few minutes um so uh, uh you know but you were quite quite right perhaps they forgot to put it on board or it was broken or whatever i don't know yeah well, okay, so it wasn't quite as exciting a story as we thought it would be. Hmm. Oh, well. Um, but it probably had the effect that this uh, publication wanted to have, right? Yeah, clickbait. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Ivor, that bloke from over the pond, writes in to, I'm going to read this to you, Captain Nick, because that's uh, whom he's addressing this to. Dear Captain Nick, so... Episode 340 is upon us. Well, it was actually. Or you have to, or you, to be more precise, congratulations. I didn't think you had it in you, to be honest, when you first muscled your way onto the show all those years ago. I expected you to be a bit of a shooting star, all brightness and bluster, but after a week or two, frankly, a burden to poor Jeff, who would be kind, uh, too kind to get rid of you, but... As it transpired, you have, by some kind of miracle, been a useful, if troublesome, addition to the show. Hmm. Not quite sure how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of conflicting, like, complimentary yeah, and... Right. Everything's yeah. changed. <laughs> tinged, yes. That's a very good, good word to use. It's very helpful to listeners to have the input of a proper airline pilot like yourself, as against the other chaps who fly for the Acme Historic yeah. <laughs> section. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with aircraft that have a strange tail arrangement and the engines in completely the wrong place, but surely, and they put some parentheses, surely, like the, uh, the female uh, name, Having a pilot who dares to go over the seas and can handle four throttle thrust levers is an absolute necessity on a show of this kind. It is, after all, called Airline Pilot Guy, not the popping around wordly named Cities of America show. 
<laughs> it's a bit rich. Wow. Compliments all around. All there's around. more 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 than just a tinge we're, and uh, we're in not that even paragraph. Yeah, the, uh, the letter here. So yeah. more to come. I my my final act shall be to congratulate Captain Three Forty Nick on dragging this show up to the heady heights that it deserves. Wow, dragging it up to the heady heights that it deserves. Hmm. And good luck to young Jeff and Dana. I think Ivor probably needs some glasses uh, in the future as they try to get into a proper airliner. Thanks. We must also thank HR for steering this wobbly old ship down a reasonably clean and acceptable path. (laughs) Well done, Dr. Steph. A difficult job done with some style. It cannot be easy for you, especially once they start drinking, which is often by look of it. <laughs> yeah, I do what I can. Do what I can. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Steph. Uh, we all do appreciate you <laughs> steering this wobbly old ship yeah. down this, a... The steering isn't so sharp anymore these days. I don't know. I love the path, though. It's a reasonably clean and acceptable path. Yes. I mean, that's really what we're aiming for. Yes. Mm-hmm. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to episode 380. It's an Airbus thing. Love and kisses, Ivor. Well, thank you, Ivor, for your <laughs> some of the words that were kind in this. <laughs> yes. About 30% of it, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, they, maybe. <laughs> yes, we're, we're damned by faint praise. And uh, <laughs> what's the other thing uh, where you uh, make a uh, a criticism into a compliment. A, backhanded a, compliments. Yes, backhanded compliments. There you go. Don't you love those? Nice chap. I guess it's better than no compliment at all. <laughs> yes. Or maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> like the news? Yeah. Or like, yeah. It's true. All right. Matt writes in, a new study found that the majority of plane crashes occur because the pilot is holding a turkey drumstick in each hand. Wow, I did not see this. Let me read a little bit more here. Uh, Well, here's some morbidly fascinating news. A recent study by the Federal Aviation Administration examined the black box audio recordings from hundreds of doomed planes for clues to what caused them to crash and made a major discovery. Most crashes are caused by the pilot holding a turkey drumstick in each hand. Yikes. It really makes you wonder how many close calls you've had at 28,000 feet. The researchers poured over black box recordings from nearly 1,000 down flights looking for evidence of what caused the planes to crash. Again and again, they found disturbing conversations like this one. Pilot. San Antonio, this is Delta 841. Air traffic controller. Delta 841, this is San Antonio Tower. Go ahead. Uh, Delta 841 is two miles east, inbound for landing. ATC says, winds are 190 at 5. Delta 841, you're clear to land. Flight attendant. Wow, Captain. Double fisting drumsticks? It's not even Thanksgiving. Pilot. Well, you know me. It's a big, I'm a big dark meat guy. Co-pilot. Do you mind if I have those other two drumsticks? Pilot. Go ahead. Better grab them before they get cold. Co-pilot. Unintelligible. (laughs) Flight attendant. Unintelligible screams. Radio silence. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's hard to read, actually really hard to read after analyzing more than 500 similar conversations suggesting that a pilot holding drumsticks was the principal factor in a plane crash the researchers divided these incidents into four categories listed below in descending order of frequency 
one incidents in which the pilot and co-pilot were incapacitated due to holding two turkey drumsticks each. Okay, we just addressed that. Number two, incidents in which only the pilot was holding two turkey drumsticks and the co-pilot was dangerously distracted by the sight and smell of the drumsticks. Three, incidents in which the pilot was triumphantly holding two drumsticks and kept saying, oh yeah, as the co-pilot committed a series of errors resulting from inexperience. And four, incidents in which either the pilot or co-pilot was holding three or more drumsticks. Wow. I'm not sure where they're getting, they're getting all these drumsticks. Uh, how many legs does a turkey have? Uh, apparently, there are multiple turkeys in winter, <laughs> apparently. Uh, the study has prompted the FAA to introduce a mandatory 30-hour training program for pilots to address the issue. But spokeswoman Marissa Cullen has said that while the administration will take steps to cur- curtail the incidents, quote, there is likely no way to prevent pilots from doubling up on turkey legs altogether. Gulp really makes you queasy to consider how little it can take for things to go wrong, doesn't it? Just try not to think about the study the next time you're six miles up in the sky. I just didn't realize uh, there was such a draw to to drumsticks, to turkey legs. Well, that's something that we really try to keep out of the news, stuff. Okay. I don't know, perhaps, perhaps us Europeans, we're not so uh, attuned to eating turkey, but I've never found the turkey drumstick a particularly uh, flavorsome uh, thing. And it's full of very nasty little bones, too, or, or tendons or whatever. Uh, that's now, another risk. A chicken drumstick, that's, that's different. But turkey, no, uh, never worried about that. Hmm. I, you know, really, uh, I, the place that i see a preponderance of uh, turkey drumsticks is usually those renaissance festivals oh yeah with like all the or, or sometimes you can even even get them with like actually i'm thinking of a place in Asheville that does it's like a turkey drumstick but then it's filled with like beans and all Ooh. kinds of other like potato and yeah a stuffed turkey well not drumstick. stuffed but just like it all comes together on a oh okay I, I thought a t- stuffed turkey drumstick had a bone in it. I mean, isn't that the stuffing of a turkey drumstick? I noticed you get anything else into it. I don't know. I think you're being a little bit too literal, technical. Yeah. Perhaps we should ask Dana. The uh, yeah, too bad Dana's not here. He would, this would have been something that he right I think he could have clarified. Tree. Yeah, uh, because Dana did, by the way, prepare several uh, chicken drumsticks for our retreat on the lake. Mm. They were delicious. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Matt, for that. Uh, again, one of those uh, obscure FAA uh, reports that um, kind of uh, kind of escapes um, general public notice for good reason. All right, uh, Captain Steve um, again here, and he sent us in some audio feedback regarding something that we talked about on an earlier show. Hey, PG crew. This is former Captain Steve here. Now, first officer Steve. Still kind of weird saying that again (laughs) i'm just calling in to uh leave some feedback on episode 339 where the guys were talking about the pitot tube covers um at the malaysian airlines uh incident that was in the news it made me think back to when i was a new hire at uh, acme jr um i think for the first couple years that i was there we actually would install pitot tube covers Um, When the airplane was left for any extended period of time and also left overnight, we actually found that they caused more trouble than we we thought that they saved because 
those first officers that were, uh, let's say, vertically challenged, since the CRJ's nose is low enough, um, had an issue with putting the pitot tube covers on in an appropriate manner. What was happening is those of us that were less than vertically gifted uh, would actually put the pitot tube cover on at a slight downward angle, and the sharp edge of the pitot tube was slicing off a little bit of the rubber on the inside of the cover. Uh, When the cover was removed, that rubber was left inside the pitot tube and then would be blown back down the line, um, a lot of times causing issues with the pitot system itself. And after a while, we realized what was happening. So we just got rid of the pitot tube covers and just inspected the openings as part of the normal walk around, like Captain Nick was saying we would do in a Cessna. Um, from day one when we would inspect the pitot system. I know that doesn't or can't be done on some of the bigger aircraft, like the the Airbus with the pitot tubes 20 feet off the ground, but on our on our uh, CRJ, um, it was it was much more manageable of a of a proposition to just inspect it versus covering it and causing the issues. Captain Nick and Dana, or Captain Jeff and Dana, um, what is what is Acme Airlines doing? And uh, same for Captain Nick. Are you guys even using the pedo tube covers um, at all anymore? Or is that a thing of the past? Clear skies, tailwinds to you all, and we'll talk to you later. Uh, Very much like the airplane that I'm flying, quickly becoming a thing of the past. Um, I've never seen a pedo cover in use uh, for my almost 30 years at Acme Airlines. You're not worried about the bugs getting in there and making little... No blockages. No. No. Well, I I guess the engineers might put covers on if the aircraft's going into maintenance or going to be mothballed for any you know length of time, but not in general uh, use. And I have never seen them on our aircraft either. Right. So there you go. Thank you, uh, Captain. Formerly Captain, now First Officer, but now you're back to being Captain Steve forever and ever. Thank you very much for the audio feedback. And now it is time for the best part of the show, which you know what that means. It is this week's plain tale entitled Captain Al and the Spotty M. The old pilot's plain tales, Captain Al and the Spotty M. When we join our chosen major airline, we would hope that we can stay with it for the entirety of our careers. Sadly, that is not always the case. This is the first part of Captain Al's story and how his beloved airline closed its doors. Al, nice of you to chat to us. Now, not many of us are ever in the situation where our airline falls out from underneath us. And sadly, you were in just that place and not that long ago. It was uh, coming up to its anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely, yes. Um, a year flies by. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's not something that you would wish on your worst enemy, to be perfectly truthful. So your airline, we can call it Monarch now because uh, those days are now behind and no one's really going to come after you. Um, it was a well-established airline. Absolutely, Um, and in fact the irony of the situation 
years that had the airline continued to operate, this would have been its 50th anniversary this year. So I guess tears all round. And are you going to meet up with any of your past colleagues? Um, there are various uh, reunion events organised, but of course we're spread out all over the world now working for other airlines and um, most of the pilot community found work in other airlines, but of course the cabin crew, um, they're now spread out over all sorts of industries. So um, some people will try to get together, but of course not everyone's going to be in that position. So casting your mind back... What gave you the indication that things might not be well in, in the sort of last few years of Monarch's life? It's a, it's a difficult question to answer in some ways um, because, firstly, most of us who've been in aviation for a reasonable period of time know that it's a perilous industry and there isn't an airline that's gone throughout its career without having the odd little wobble. Um, and if we look at some of the American airlines, those that are extremely successful now have all been through the Chapter 11 protection. So, um, and also with regards to me and Monarch Airlines, in the uh, last couple of years or so, I was quite heavily involved with the Pilots' Union. So we were in a privileged position to be given the company accounts um, however, the accounts are only a snapshot of the financial well-being. And although you can see where the money's coming from and where it's being spent, you're not privy to the plans that are behind those accounts. Um, and it's very much an interpretation. Now, many airlines, including Monarch, had received funding from its owners, from external sources over the year. Um, so when you see... Uh, a loss-making year, you don't necessarily panic and think, right, I'm going to redo my CV, I'm going to go from the frying pan into the fire. So um, though there must have been a few signals and, and at times you must have been a little worried because Monarch had started leaking pilots. Yes, there'd been a, a, a small drip rather than a, a, than a leak, to be honest. Um, the main reason is that as an airline, I mean, let's be honest, we all have to work to pay the bills, but it was a very, very friendly airline. We were well treated. Um, we had a lot of respect for the management. Um, we had high standards. And the flying that we did in, in the main was very enjoyable. Um, so there was no great desire to go somewhere else where maybe the workload was higher and the remuneration was less. So, yet yeah, some pilots did leave. Um, we did have a period of time where the uh, company downsized the number of aircraft and um, there were uh, a period, or was a period of time where there was a consultation over redundancies uh, in the pilot community and we were able to sit down with the company and turn that into voluntary redundancies rather than compulsory redundancies. So quite a number of guys took the opportunity to what they saw maybe as a, a career break um, to go off for four years and there was provisions to come back to the airline um, after taking voluntary redundancy. So quite a few guys did take that option, probably within the back of their mind to come back. Um, obviously that's not an option anymore. Now, for a lot of you, uh, Monarch had a wonderful pension scheme that would have kept you very keen to stay in and very keen for the airline to keep going. How, what kind of a scheme was that? It was a, a final salary pension scheme. Um, when I joined the company in 2001, 
there were a handful of airlines that offered final salary pension schemes, and they were the gold-plated pension. Um, you, as the employee, uh, made a contribution, and the employer made a contribution, and based on the number of years of service, you ended up with a percentage of your final salary as your annual pension. Um, it wasn't subject to the vagaries of the stock market. It was uh, a very simple formula, and you knew exactly what pension you were going to get, or at least that's what we thought. Uh, when the previous owners of the airline decided in 2014 that they wanted to rid themselves of the airline, um, a deal was made whereby, because the pension fund had a huge deficit, that the pension would effectively be scrapped and put into a protection scheme. So what was supposed to be um, a gold-plated pension turned out to be an almost useless pension, and many of my long-established colleagues in the airline lost sums up to three-quarters of a million pounds um, because the Pension Protection Fund, which is the sort of uh, insurance policy for final salary pension schemes, has an upper limit. So regardless of how much you've put in or the employer's put in, um, your pension is now capped um, and therefore that money is lost. That's a nightmare, uh, particularly for those who were relying it and those who were too old to stand a chance of making a new pension elsewhere. Absolutely, and, and the worst thing about it was that it was the older guys who were the worst affected because they had the most money invested, um, so therefore they were the worst affected by the cap and, of course, the least amount of time to try to make good the damage. Absolutely. Uh, well, we all feel horribly sorry for them. Um, how about yourself? Um, you stuck with it to the very end. Um, was it a difficult decision not to try and leave early? I think the, the decision was based on two key facts, really, for me, or key deciders. Um, number one, I enjoyed working there, and if the airline could succeed, then I wanted to be part of the success story. And number two, up until relatively recently, it wasn't a buoyant jobs market, so the choices weren't that great. Um, so, in many respects, you stick with the devil that you know, and you, you, you just hope. And there had been rescue packages in the past, and there were new aircraft to be delivered, so there was plenty of reasons to be optimistic. It was just unfortunate that two sets of circumstances outside of the control of the airline, the owners or indeed the management, came to play that just put the nails in the coffin. Two sets of circumstances sounds like uh, an awful recipe for disaster. What happened? Well, there were two events. There was the bombing of the Metrojet Airbus that uh, took off from Sharm el-Sheikh flying to Russia and shortly after getting airborne a bomb exploded on board and it became apparent that the security within Sharm el-Sheikh airport was so lax that it was easy to get a bomb on board and therefore as a consequence the UK government decided to rescue all UK citizens from the Sharm el-Sheikh area of Egypt and then oppose a ban on UK airlines flying to Sharm el-Sheikh airport. Now, the effect that that had on Monarch Airlines was quite considerable because Sharm el-Sheikh was an extremely popular winter sun destination and accounted for about 
40 million pounds of winter revenue. Now, most of us will know that there's a big split between winter and summer uh, flying programs for most airlines, and revenue is always difficult to come by during the winter periods. So to suddenly have 40 million pounds um, come out of your money coming into the, the business was, was quite a bitter pill to swallow, and then it became apparent that this ban was going to be ongoing. So combine that with the political instabilities in the eastern Mediterranean, it really forced the hand of Monarch in how they deployed their aircraft. The second external event, again, largely outside of the control of uh, the airline, was Brexit. Not because of the political fallout and any of the political squabbling that currently is taking place, but simply it had an effect on the pound sterling. Almost overnight, the pound lost about 25% of its value against the US dollar and the euro. Now, as an airline, most of our revenue was in pound sterling, and almost all of its expenditure was in US dollars for fuel, aircraft leasing costs, and euros, airport charges, euro control charges. So it's very obvious to see that overnight the operating costs went up by 25%, and that's simply irrecoverable. You can't just raise the ticket prices by 25%. And do you think there was a way that Monarch might have, in the past, widened its potential customer base to include uh, something that would protect them against these losses because to have just one destination uh, and one currency uh, that you're working in bring the airline down so low seems to be a bit of an error. I would entirely agree um, and a situation compounded by being a relatively small airline only operating up to sort of 35, 36 aircraft um, in a market that has changed dramatically over the last 15 years. We're very aware of Ryanair, EasyJet, Wizz Air, all operating large fleets. With large fleets, you can limit your exposure to single events. And that was something that we were trying to get the airline to do. But of course, at the end of the day, it's a privately owned airline, or was and therefore the owners will do what they see fit. Absolutely. The, the fateful days came. Uh, now, in the, in the few days running up to the demise, uh, I guess you must have had a pretty good clue, considering especially that you were in direct communications with uh, the management, what was going to happen. I mean, did they, did they lay it out for you? Um, I think it was one of those cases where the facts were there, but there was always the hope that someone might decide to buy the airline, or indeed the shareholders or an external party would come in and offer an amount of money to solve the problem. And that was very much the feeling up until the last few weeks, really. Um, and in the last few weeks, to the, those of us who had dealings with the management, it became aware that it didn't look as if there was going to be a rescue, it didn't look as if um, anybody was going to buy. And there had been prospective purchasers, EasyJet had been interested, IAG had been interested. I think, being brutally honest, 
a lot of it revolved around the one valuable asset that the airline had, which was its London Gatwick slots. The various parties who had expressed an interest looked at it and did a risk assessment and went, well, if the airline falls, these slots are going to go into the open market and we might end up paying less for them than if we buy the airline. And I think they were prepared to take the gamble rather than take the risk. Perhaps you could explain exactly what a slot is. Absolutely. So um, in Europe, you have to apply to the airports that you wish to fly to and from for the ability to use the runway. So unlike the United States, where you can just build a schedule and just hope for the best, um, and as long as you have gates or whatever, then regardless of whether air traffic control have the capacity to deal with the number of flights, um, that doesn't happen in, in Europe. So the very busy airports, so London Gatwick, Heathrow, Manchester, all have basically shares in the runway in simple terms that the airlines will buy and sell, and that allows you to operate routes. And as I recall, the slots at London Gatwick were sold for, the Monarch Airline slots were sold for £60 million. And that was probably one of the biggest assets that, that the airline had. So the, the airlines who were expressing interest looked at it and thought, well, we really want these slots because we need to expand at Gatwick um, and also at Manchester to a lesser extent. How much are we prepared to pay for them? How much do we think they'll go in the open auction? And so um, that unfortunately meant that there was no buyer at the end of the day. So those last few weeks were very much a case of, as a union guy, we reached the point where we went, right, OK, we've got to put together the programme, so how we pick up the pieces when, when the lights are turned off, because we knew that there was very little likelihood of the lights staying on. We didn't know when the lights would be turned off, um, but a decision was going to be made. In the next plain tale, we'll hear the conclusion of Captain Al's story and learn of the difficult times that its employees faced. And my apologies for the standard of audio during this interview. Technical problems, I'm afraid. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guys Show podcast. Find us at airlinepilotguys.com. Yeah, find us over here. Here we are. Here we are. Music. You made it. Hey. Okay, Nick, really, you need to stop talking. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, maybe I could have something to do with that over here. Yeah, I'm trying to shut up, but I just can't. <laughs> anyway, that is very interesting stuff and very sad stuff, uh, as many people said in the chat room. It's hard to hard to hear Al talk about um, his experience uh, with a, an airline that... Uh, was such a great airline that and just just failed. Oh, absolutely. The the, uh, the next half of the interview is the real uh, killer. Uh, and I'm sad to say, well, not sad. Um, we both became quite emotional talking about it. Um, and sadly, the uh, the sad bit is the audio uh, is just as ropey. Uh, so again, I apologize for actually, that. The I story mean, is great. The audio was fine. So, I wouldn't worry about that. It doesn't take away no it's it's, it's all content and yeah. yeah i agree stuff exactly. um, once you get drawn into the story hopefully you'll uh, you'll forget about uh, the fact that al got stuck in the toilet but 
eventually housekeeping came around and we managed to free him, but uh, we were we were just I had the microphone pressed up against the door and then every now and again it flashed. So uh, you know I couldn't even tell that you were wearing a mask. <laughs> He's a true professional. I mean yeah, absolutely, yes. yeah. So that's a trick not to get an interview around one of those things. And I love the very uplifting music that uh, was in the background there the whole time. It's not exactly an uplifting story, so I thought <laughs> I about playing something perky, but uh, yeah. perhaps not. Would not match. No. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm looking at the clock here and the and the time just uh, flittering away, flittering away. Uh, right. Let's hear what David Ogden uh, sent us. Hey, Captain Jeff and the APG crew. This is David from the Houston area. I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts on, and some feedback from episode 339. Uh, first of all, I heard uh, the pilot claiming that he had a problem with his flux capacitor doing skydive operations. I know it's not an airplane part, but I would encourage you to go to uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts, uh, their website, and look up part number 121Golf. You might get a good chuckle out of that. Uh, the next thing you were talking about, uh, the Girl Scouts program and addressing the uh, pilot shortage and their new uh, merit badge that they have. I'd like to uh, point you to some of the great things that Civil Air Patrol is doing to uh, help out and, and uh, address the uh, issues that we're facing with the pilot shortage. Uh, first of all, all of our cadets, all uh, almost uh, 20, 25,000 cadets that we have in Civil Air Patrol are uh, offered orientation flights. They're given five front seat flights in a powered airplane and five uh, five glider flights at the controls of the aircraft, and then as many backseat rides as they can handle. So they get a lot of flight time uh, being a Civil Air Patrol cadet. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we also do orientation flights for Air Force ROTC and Air Force JROTC cadets. So just wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, in addition to all of the orientation flights that we do in Civil Air Patrol, we also have powered and, and glider flight academies that we do during the summer where those cadets uh, go from zero flight hours uh, to hopefully solo in, in about a week time. So there's a lot of flying, a lot of learning that goes on in a, in a week. Uh, sometimes with the gliders, we're not able to get them through solo in, in one week, but we, we try our hardest to do that. And then a new program that we just started is a uh, program to take those cadets who have graduated from our flight academies and take them uh, all the way through their private pilot's license at a very minimal cost. So uh, just a couple of the great things the Civil Air Patrol is doing. Anyways, keep up the great work. Absolutely love the podcast and uh, and look forward to hearing all of the uh, future episodes. Well, thank you so much, David, for that. Uh, it was, again, nice meeting David. Uh, I think it was last, maybe earlier last year. I don't remember exactly when it was. We had a Houston meet up and I met David Ogden there. Great guy. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for that uh, multifaceted feedback. Steph, have you looked up the uh, uh, flux capacitator? Oh, I've actually, I, I was laughing because I did see that as well previously. <laughs> I uh, thought okay. it was a capacitor, not a capacitator. Well, Am it, I wrong? It is the the um, news piece that he's referencing, the reporter actually called it a flux capacitator. So she clearly oh, had no she, idea. I mean, she, someone, yeah, yeah they... She, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is flux really capacitor. Funny. Yes, but it is flux flux capacitor, and um, that is actually listed in O'Reilly Auto Parts um, catalog online. If you look up that part number, that's what oh, it takes. Brilliant. To. So it's, it's actually very fantastic. funny. Go, go check it out. Love it. <laughs> All right, thank you, David. Um, as always, appreciate your feedback. Um, Larry quickly said in this, dear captains and doctor, this is something new for me. Have you, especially Captain Nick, participated in such an exercise? Curious about 
how they set off a volcano. And uh, this is a, a link to the ICAO, uh, International Civil Aviation Organization, um, message, admin message. And uh, attention all SADIS users. Uh, let's see, I'm scrolling down here. It's a volcanic ash forecast exercise, Friday, 14th September 2018, between approximately 1430 UTC and 1730 UTC tomorrow, Friday, 14th September. Uh, the VAAC London will be taking part in a volcanic ash exercise. So interesting. So I guess they must have some kind of a simulation where they spew out a bunch of volcanic ash into the air and uh, see how everybody handles it. That's Is that the way simulation. That you, you, have you never had one of those little indoor fireworks uh, when you were a kid called a volcano and you light it and it would kind of spew out all this gunk? Yes. Well, they okay. have a huge one. It's uh, in Wales, <laughs> not far from where Captain Al lives. In fact, I think he's he helps in the creation of it. <laughs> and they just light this thing and off it goes. And you know, oh, I think it's, it's where Wales gets the myth that it has dragons uh, and things. Ah. Yeah, so I think that's part of all the, the dragon myth. Very clever. Yeah. It all makes so, sense now, really. It does. Exactly. So you don't really need me to explain what it really is. <laughs> no, no. I think we all understand probably what it really is. Micah says something about a big piece of ash. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay Micah. Well, <laughs> easy. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Okay, as I said, uh, sadly, I mean, really good pieces of feedback here that we're going to have to put aside to the next show, including uh, Kevin's um, t story about, you know, the exploding homes in uh, North Boston and uh, how our show provided a welcome diversion for him. Um, and the, uh, the wonderful, how I got here, uh, epi or installment next time, Micah's always awesome audio, uh, regarding emotional support animals this time and, uh, more about monitored approaches and all that. So we're going to go ahead and just end today's episode by telling you that uh, if you want to learn more about the show please head over to our website airlinepilotguide.com and there you'll find information about the show and uh, social media and the crew and uh, the community and and much much more and uh, don't forget that we do have apps for your smart devices your smartphones your tablets both android and ios and information about that can be found at the website as well, as well as show notes for today's show. And uh, we're also on social media. Indeed, you can head over to twitter.com and look up, look us up at, at APG Crew. We're all there. You can find our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of that page. You can also go over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy and interact with the community there. Um, Nick and Liz seem to pay the most attention to that uh, particular page. Um, but if there is a uh, commentary left for the rest of us, it does filter back to us as well. And uh, information posted there from the community, news articles, you know, funny bits of information and memes. Um, try and keep things a little lighthearted there. So we hope to see you there. Yes. And we're also, we have a Slack team and uh, Hillel is going to tell us about that. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. 
On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. And until next time, all of us here wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.